You're listening to The Gentleman's Guide to Midnight Cinema with Big Willie and the Samurai, bringing class to trash since 1977. And welcome back to the Gentleman's Guide to Midnight Cinema. I am Lawrence William, and across the border from me are three people, four people, two of which you've heard before, two of which, one of which you may have heard on their show, and one mystery guest, a mystery caller, if you will. I'm going to introduce them all, and we're going to get started on our show. Uh, before we talk about the films, let's talk about the people that are going to be talking about those films. Of course, as always, the Prince of Pennsylvania is uh, to my south, I guess, in general terms. That is, of course, Todd, Hot Toddy. Todd, welcome back. How was was the baby oil breakdancing last week? (laughs) It was, uh, well, I did a couple of slips. There were some sprained ankles. (laughs) They don't call you the Crocodile Mile for nothing. No. No. So it was good. It was a fruitful event, I gather. Lots of money popping, was raised. Popping and locking. You know. Wouldn't expect that's how, it that's how you do. A couple sunburns, a couple of sprained ankles. That's yeah. how it goes. Nothing a little uh, tiger it's, bomb. I'll take care of. Excellent. Excellent. Uh, we got Fenord, who you've all heard on the show before. I think a couple of times for him. What, three? Two, three times? Uh, yeah, at least two. I think two. Yeah, a bit of a gray beard around these parts. Yeah. That's Old good. hat. Yeah, man. People are going to be fucking annoyed. Here. <laughs> <laughs> hey, if they're not annoyed by us, they certainly won't be annoyed by you. <laughs> so rest assured. So welcome back. Um, we also have Gary. And Gary, of course, podcasting is in his blood. Gary, why don't uh, you introduce yourself? Well, I wouldn't say podcast is in my blood. It's, it's, it's more like, I guess, film is in my blood from a very early age. So Excellent. Well, why not talk about it? Everybody else is a podcast. Why not right now? Yeah, absolutely. It seems to be the thing. Everyone was picking up a mic, and and off we go. And of course, we have uh, that that the aforementioned mystery caller is uh, Carrie, who's in the group and is partaking in Kringle this year. So Carrie's going all in on the GGCMC right now. <laughs> yeah, you know, I never do anything by half measures, right? That's right. You got to go all in, right? So this is good. It's uh, it's nice to have uh, fresh blood on the show, and this should be a very interesting episode. Um, a lot of our listeners 
either politely or otherwise, I mean, always politely, have sort of lamented our lack of kind of freewheeling episodes where we have not been um, tied down to sponsorships and obligations and what have you. And this was a freewheeling episode, if you will. I decided I want to program a couple films that I've wanted to talk about on the show forever. Uh, and those two films are... Uh, both from the 80s. Uh, first one up is 1981's Coup de Torchon, directed by Bertrand Tavernier. And this was adapted uh, from a Jim Thompson story, or a short story, I should say. And we'll also be talking about uh, Choi Hawk's Peking Opera Blues from 1986. Uh, of course, before we get into those films, though, I want to give everyone a chance to get to know those of you that are on the show for the third time, or the first time for that matter, and get a little, ins- a little insight into what you guys do. Um, Todd and I are going to be gentlemanly, and we're going to defer you hear enough of our voices uh, weekly, so we're going to jump over to Fenord. Fenord, what's been popping in your neighborhood lately? All right, so uh, I'm going to jump back to last weekend. I had my in-laws in town, um, and so... We watched a lot of movies while they were in town, like four or five movies over the Thanksgiving break. Um, and they started uh, the trip off with telling me, dropping a bomb on me that they did not like uh, Charles Bronson. Ooh, bad way to wow. start the weekend. A, yeah, it was a tough. And I love them very much. I'm very close to them, but uh, I, I had to try to I had to try to convince them. So I uh, put on Breakheart Pass. Um, which your dad had seen before and liked quite a bit, um, but my wife and her mom were not convinced. They they thought it was okay, but uh, I really love Breakheart Pass. I hadn't seen it in a long time, but it's one of my favorite Bronson movies, and it's kind of somewhat of an odd duck in his career. Um, it, it, he's definitely being Bronson, but it's not you know the normal sort of thing that he got roped into, or he's. <laughs> You know, shooting ro- a dildo at someone and screaming. So. Or, or that he roped cannon into. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, 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 exactly. Exactly. Um, it's a good movie. I think it's a nice, like, it's a perfect Saturday afternoon uh, western. It's got a great cast on it. It takes its time, and it's, uh, it's a nice little adventure whodunit sort of mystery on a train. And I love a train movie. Um, the stunts are amazing. I mean, you kind of forget that there was a time where people were just hanging off the fucking train over a mountainside. Uh, yeah, it's insane, man. I mean, that's one thing I remember about that film is that fight with the chef, I think, on top of the train, yeah, right? the chef, yeah. 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 yeah, the cook really, really goes at it. And then, you know, I mean, you can you can tell that there's a pretty harsh cut between Bronson and the and the guy fighting and uh, the stuntman. Yeah. But uh, uh, it's still, it's pretty awesome. I love, I love the movie, uh, it got a lukewarm response, but that's all right. Tough crowd. Uh, so, yeah. So I put on something a little more that might be a little more up everybody's alley and no one had seen it. It's called uh, Quick Change from 1990 with Bill Murray. Uh, <laughs> it's my favorite Bill Murray movie. Have you all seen this, Moon? Is this- yeah. Right? yeah. I love it. I totally love that movie. Not, not my favorite, but it's a definitely underrated. Never seen it? Oh, really? He directed it, didn't he? he that's yeah. right. Yeah, he co-directed it, yeah. And it has steel from uh, Day of the Dead in it. Nice. Who, who's that? Steel from Day of the Dead. Sergeant. Or I don't know if he was a Sergeant Steel. But... I don't recognize the name. No. If you, if you had would, said John Steel, Martin Cove, John Steel, I'd be watching it tonight. <laughs> no, 
No, no, no. Um, you have to tell me the actor's name. I don't. I haven't seen Day of the Dead in forever. So. Yeah, he plays. He plays the guy at the end on the airplane. Okay. And uh, in Quick Change. He's the guy at the end of it uh, on the airplane. Oh, sure, sure. Yeah, he's also in RoboCop. He's uh, he's on that '70s show. That guy. Uh, no, 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 not uh, not Kurtwood Smith. No, no. Smith. Uh, yeah. Wait, let me find a name for you. Do 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 do. It says Gary Howard Clark. Is that is that how you mean? Uh, th- 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 uh yep, that's him. Or right. I don't, G. I don't Howard. recognize. Yeah. I don't recognize it off uh, off the top of my head. Yeah, no. As soon as you see, as soon if you watch the two movies back to back, you would instantly recognize him. Right. He's one of those guys where every now and again he pops up, and I'm like, holy shit, it's start, it's Steel. Holy shit, it's so. Gary Howard, Allen it's Clark. It's G. Howard Clark. Or G. Howard Clark. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I, you know, I, I thought I knew some pretty deep cut character actors. That one evades total. Um, but Quick Change, I really love. It, uh, um, I love that movie. It's it, it's uh, one of my favorite comedies, and uh, it's just an easygoing kind of comedy. That I like uh, a lot. Uh, then we watched Inherent Vice Ooh, with yeah. the whole family. Uh, <laughs> man, melting everyone's faces. Her parents are very adventurous watchers. Her mom uh, kind of famously said when we first met, uh, as she was looking through my DVD collection, she said that uh, Blue Velvet. Oh, that's a great movie. Oh, I will nice. never watch that movie again. But that is just a great movie. <laughs> so. So I knew she was destined to be my mother-in-law at that point. That's but uh, um, they liked Inherent Vice a lot. Uh, they, they, neither of them were too familiar with the book. Um, her dad had read another Thomas Pynchon book, but I'm a big fan of, the, of both Pynchon's writing and the cast and that movie. So uh, that was like a third-time watch for me. Um, but I love it. Probably top three Paul Thomas Anderson for me. Yeah, me too. Maybe, and that's that's saying something. Yeah, I yeah, because there's not a bad one in the bunch when nope. it comes to him. I, you know, but uh, Boogie Nights, the Master, and that one are my uh, are my top. Yeah, Boogie Nights definitely. Yeah, that's. I think I like it when he goes a little the, uh, a little black comedy, which he always does to some extent, but some of them are a little a little drier than others. Um, then we watch Godfather Two. Which uh, I just hadn't seen in forever, but I, I love that movie. Um, there's not much to say about it. It's a great movie, and I I always kind of tear up when Frito gets it. So oh yeah, Frito. Does anyone else prefer one to two? I prefer one to two. Uh, I prefer two. Yeah, I prefer two. Um, but I I really love the De Niro stuff, the the origin story. Yeah, yeah, it is good. I, I like I do. One, I, love, I love one. I like I love one the most because it's really weird. I, I watched it at really too young of age because my grandmother's two favorite movies were The Sound of Music and The Godfather. You know, God bless my noni. But, you know, <laughs> she had a VHS tape with with those, like both of them on there. We watched them often. <laughs> great. That kind of combines. My dad's favorite movie was Clockwork Orange, and my mom's was Sound of Music. So I saw those movies <laughs> both around like seven years old. Amazing. Uh, inappropriate for me but you good um then i saw logan lucky uh mm. which i did not expect to like at all but i actually really liked um i thought it was a really a really fun movie uh that had a weird tone to it i didn't expect it to be kind of as slapsticky um as it was uh sometimes it felt like a will ferrell movie 
I think, you know, and, and it's not to, you know, I'm not deriding it. I like Will Ferrell movies, but um, Seth MacFarlane felt like he stepped out of Talladega Nights. Uh, they're really, <laughs> really goofy makeup and mustache on and doing a doing a weird accent and uh, uh, yeah. doing a British accent, I guess. I don't usually like Seth MacFarlane, but I thought he was pretty great and uh, everyone was really good. Yeah, I, I hear the Orville doesn't suck, but I don't want to check it out. I'm a little afraid, you know. Yeah, I can't bring myself to. No disrespect to those that can. I just I can't pull the trigger. <laughs> Teach her own. I like a lot of shit that is not good. Oh yeah. Oh the the um, the sci-fi show he does. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's kind of middle of the road. I mean, it's. I watched a couple episodes because I'm a big Star Trek fan, and I thought. Uh, you know, at least maybe it'll have some good good laughs, but uh, it's actually it's a little different than I thought it would be, and I don't hate his smugness as much as I thought I would. Um, it's all, it's all right. It's nothing to rush out and see, but um, Logan Lucky, on the other hand, I thought was great. So, um, and then I watched I'm a Killer, which is a Polish movie from last year. Oh yeah yeah yeah. Uh, the first half of it kind of plays like Zodiac. It's kind of like a Polish Zodiac. Hmm. Um, then it kind of changes gears a little bit, but uh, really, really good movie. Um, I, I loved it. Uh, it's really high high quality. It's got some black humor in it, um, and it's got a lot of unresolved sort of ambiguous uh, uh, morality, and um, it's, 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 complica- it's more complicated than it seems on its face. Um, and it was really good. Really good. Nice. I'll have to check that out. Poland's uh, had a bit of a renaissance the past few years because they, they had been a bit dormant, creatively speaking, in a, sort of the art house world. Um, but they've had some a lot of acclaim in the past couple of years with what was the one with the nun, Rock and White? Ida. Ida, that yeah. exactly. Beautiful film. Gra- that was really good. Yeah, it was fantastic. So they seem to be uh, ramping it back up. The Polski's coming correct. Yeah, I'm a, big, I'm a big fan of their 70s and 80s output. Uh, oh, yeah. But, but yeah, then they seem to just... I'm a big fan of their kielbasa. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, man. That is a very GGTMC-like, um, I think. <laughs> you got you to gotta eat it with the skin on so it's good and crunchy. <laughs> like Scrapple. Like Scrapple. You got you yeah. to you got to get it good and crispy on the on the out on the outside and then the inside is just the mush and all that shit in there. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, the, the, the delicious. Mo- <laughs> yeah, yeah. Speaking of derailing trains. Anyway, <laughs> please go ahead. Yeah, I'm a I'm a killer is kind of like a uh, kielbasa. There's a lot of shit and mush in the middle of it. Uh, oh, yeah. in, a good, in a good way. It's a, it's a nasty movie. Um, then I watched Destiny, uh, Fritz Long's um, film from 1921. Uh, silent movie. Uh, really, really beautiful. It had been partially, I think, destroyed. And um, and it was kind of color corrected and some, some uh, magic was worked. And the, I just saw the restoration that was put out last year. And it, it's beautiful. Wonderful movie. Um, it's on Netflix streaming. If you can believe it, um, I'd had it in my list for forever and I thought that it for sure would be gone and then found it and, uh, watched it immediately and really, really great. Pushed its way up to the top of my, uh, my Fritz Long movies and uh, I love him. So yeah, he was way out of uh, his time, man. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, he, he had no problem switching over to, uh, the talkies. 
from Silence. Yeah. And he had no problem switching over to American. I mean, Scarlet Street's one of his greatest movies after having a successful career in the silent film and then in the in the in, in talkies in uh, Germany. Uh, so so he yeah, he just was great throughout his career. He never really fell off at all. Um then I watched Colt 38 Special Squad. Yeah. With uh Bozufi. That's right, man. Ivan Razumov and uh Antonio Marcina, Carol Lore. It was uh it's great. Um, sorry, Carol. Oh, that's not cool. Not Carol Laurie. What's up? I'm sorry, sorry to interrupt. I was just saying this looks really cool. Yeah, oh, it's really, it's really cool. It's great, and it's uh, Dalamano's last movie, Massimo Dalamano's last movie. Yeah, he's great. Uh, man. He's awesome. Yeah, there was a scene where a character gets all of his fingers taken off the car door. That <laughs> is one of the. In, in, in even in even by Italian standards, it's pretty pretty gross. And uh, <laughs> I was really into it. Um, and then uh, last thing I'm going to talk about was, uh, or second to last thing I'm going to talk about is uh, the Voyeur, this new documentary that Netflix put together. Um, that I put on late at night, not expecting much, and then ended up staying up for an hour and a half watching it. Um, it's about a guy who bought a motel in the 60s uh, for the sole purpose of uh, creating an observing platform to watch people have sex in the rooms. Oh, my gosh. And then he went to the famous journalist Gay Talese and told him about what he was doing, brought him to the motel and showed him, and then asked him if he would write a book about it. That's pretty brazen. Yeah, which did which happened thirty years later, um, and uh, the 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 main character, uh, the the voyeur in question, is, and I watched I watched these movies without judgment. I'm fascinated, but I just watched it for the sort of like fascinated to see how he how he. Um, justified it how he talked how he talked about it what his experience was so i went in with no you know no desire to judge um but he's a full-on sociopath and be way beyond way beyond just being uh the sociopath you would imagine he is uh completely lacks self-awareness and uh uh considered himself a scientist um and when his story comes out and he starts getting harassing phone calls and stuff, he's, uh, you know, kind of, how dare they invade my privacy? <laughs> <laughs> wow. Which is uh, mind-blowing, mind-blowing stuff. Um, so, the, uh, yeah, the guy is uh, completely off of this planet. Um, and I recommend watching it because it it's, it's an interesting watch. It's crazy. Um. Then I did a second watch of Good Time, the new uh, Safety Brothers movie. Man, I'm still trying to see this. I've been, I'm so excited for it. I just haven't been able to uh, get it in yet. Yeah. Uh, I, 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 yeah. I don't know what to say about it with because I don't want to spoil it for, for anybody. I can't talk about it at great length, I guess. But uh, it's a fantastic movie. Um it really has a it has a 70s feel more than any movie that tries to recapture 
that or any sort of movie that kind of pays homage or does a pastiche. Uh, it really, despite, you know, despite being very set in the now, it's, uh, it, it has, it has the tone and feel of a seventies, um, you know, kind of real time crime thriller. Um, and it's not real time, but the way you stay with him the entire night, you know, you kind of get this sense of, uh, urgency that he has. Um, it's great. Um, and that's it. That's my list. Very nice. Very nice. Um, Carrie, would you care to talk about anything, whether it's stuff you've watched now, some films that you love, um, your blog, anything anything at all? (laughs) Okay. Well, um, yeah, I mean, I can go through some of the stuff that I've been watching lately. Uh, It's a little eclectic. Eclectic's Um, good. Which I, I think fits in rather well with this group, I guess. Yes. <laughs> from what I'm hearing. Um, so something that I've been dying to see, and I've seen it before, but I hadn't seen it in a really long time. And I think the Arrow release got me excited to see it again. Of course, I can't watch it, but uh, Day of the Jackal. Nice. And I hadn't I hadn't seen it in ages, and I I just love it. And one of the reasons I love it is because I like a good procedural. And this is a procedural from both sides. You know, you see the procedure of the criminal and the law trying to catch him, which, you know, in my book, it's just, it's like double the fun there, you know. So there's some great scenes in it. And, you know, Edward Fox is great. And Gambon is good. And there's so many people in there that are fantastic that it's, I, I hadn't seen it in forever, and I remembered how much I just love it. And I hope that Arrow releases it in the U.S. Um, so then, uh, oh, something that I hadn't seen before, um, and my brother was over, so we watched it because he wanted to see something um, weird and a little bit violent. So we watched uh, Dillinger with Warren Oates, and um, I, yeah. for some reason I had not seen that. You know, it just somehow slipped through the thing my fingers and wow is it so good it's yeah no i i really like john milius anyway but and i hadn't even realized that he uh he wrote and directed it but it's it's really terrific i mean another procedural really um ben johnson i mean he's got a terrific cast and and funny to see uh richard dreyfus as babyface nelson (laughs) <laughs> you know that you, yeah. I just like it was something I hadn't expected because I had <laughs> I try not to read too much about films before I see them, and um, so I was kind of like, oh my god, <laughs> and he's and he is quite baby face at the time. It's like 1973, so he's it's a couple years before Jaws even. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. So, oh, um, another favorite of mine, and I just got the Blu-ray, so I had to break it out. Was Roller Coaster? Nice. nice. I've never actually seen yeah. this, but it's a it's a it's a very popular one around uh, our parts. That's for sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Me and Sammy did it a little while. Yeah, back. I'm a big oh, Sparks yeah. fan, so. That's yeah. <laughs> big boy. <laughs> that tune cracks me up, but I like that. I mean, um, yeah. What's his face? Uh, Bottoms. Is it Timothy Bottoms? Timothy Bottoms. He has a brother. What's his brother's name? Uh, Sam. Stan. I think Sam. Bottoms. Sam. 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 Sam was in uh, Last Picture Show, Sam. right? Uh, yeah. Or is that Timothy? Was oh, I don't know. I'm, derail- I, I'm derailing this roller coaster talk. So let's get back to you. <laughs> 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 uh, 
But um, yeah, it's and you know George Siegel, Richard Widmark. I mean, it's a really good cast. Um, and you know, it does the whole disaster thing, and and I don't know. I, I like it. The psychopath uh, doing the cat and mouse game with it's kind of funny because in this case you get George Siegel who isn't a cop or anything. He's he's an inspector that works for the government, and he just happens to have inspected the roller coaster a couple of days before the first one derailed because the guy dropped the bomb there. So now he's going all over the country <laughs> because that's really what a civil servant, a local civil servant would do. You know, <laughs> is get on a plane and fly to Chicago and Virginia and everywhere else to go to different amusement parks. Um, which is what I like about 70s disaster movies. Cause, and 50s ones do this, too, where you get the guy who's stationed in Washington and he's in the Army and all of a sudden he's on an Air Force base in the Antarctic, you know, because, <laughs> you know, and he's in charge for some reason. All the Air Force guys are going, yeah, sure, whatever you say, like, because that happens. <laughs> yeah. Um, I, I became a fan of Siegel, uh, um, old stuff, ever since I watched No Way to Treat a Lady. Oh, oh, I love that movie. It's a great movie. It is. <laughs> yeah, that's a really good one. I That's a good um, Rod Steiger uh, part for him. Um, what's the other one? Oh, then I... Um, I, I host, I co-host with two others, um, B-Movie Maniacs. It's a live tweet every Friday night, and we watch nice. something sort of uh, not wonderful. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, in my opinion, wonderful, but in others, not so much. But we watch Grizzly. Oh, yes. One of my favorite of the uh, Jaws uh, rip-offs. Absolutely. Love it. I mean, William Girdler's best. Yeah. yeah, that's a, it's a actually it's a really good movie. I mean, it's you rock solid. Andrew Prime wearing yep. very tight pants because he, <laughs> he he doesn't do anything else in movies. It's sort of bizarre. <laughs> Richard Richard Jekyll sort of half playing Quint and half playing Hooper. <laughs> you know, and then and Christopher, and George. Christopher George. So yeah, who, that's a good one. Who looks a little bit more like George Siegel than I realized. Uh, yeah, for come sure. to think of it. It's weird. Yeah. Well, they all have that same hair. Yeah. You know, that like a helmet. Parted to the side, kind of flumpy, a little little curl in there, but not so much. Yeah. Um. So that that's a really good one. Although we also watched the Earth Dies Screaming. <laughs> that's a great is, title. Yeah, and and there's really no screaming because it's British. <laughs> and, um, stiff upper lip, and the Earth's uh, stiff maintains a stiff upper lip, I guess. It absolutely, yeah. <laughs> the Earth um, dies with a stiff upper lip. Yeah, <laughs> and quiet dignity. <laughs> <laughs> the Earth dies quietly, uh, waiting for tea. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it, it, it's a 1960s movie, 64, uh, and it's a Terrence Fisher. Uh, film who did a lot of the uh, Hammer films, and it it stars uh, I think it's got Virginia Field and Dennis Price who if you don't know his name he's the main guy in Kind Hearts and Coronets that that kills everybody. <laughs> mm-hmm. Anyway, um, but he's in it and it's there all these people find themselves in a small village. Um, and everyone else is dead for some reason. And then they find out that there are these weird alien robot guys that are walking around. And all they have to do is stand near you, and all of a sudden you turn into a zombie. 
it's completely bloodless um, and it's really kind of funny you know it's like it's very like oh no i'm so scared oh i'm a zombie (laughs) well if i if i remember right doesn't most of that take place in like a pub or something yeah hotel yep they're in a they're in a pub for for a good part of it and then yeah they take off at one point and they end up back at the pub i mean every you know all roads lead back to the pub apparently Yes. And, um, <laughs> which economically I, placed the pub. Oh yeah, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Save money on sets. Um, so, but that's actually I would recommend it. It's kind of fun. Uh, and then, oh, this Friday we watched. Last Friday we watched. Where have all the people gone? Which was a '70s TV movie with Peter Graves, and it's and Kathleen Quinlan, and. There's a nuclear blast and people turn into like piles of white powder. <laughs> Man, it's a bad break yeah. for real. Yeah, it's a classic. You gotta love a made-for-TV '70s movie, anyway. You know? Yeah, a bunch it's of one of my favorite line up to snort it. Yeah, <laughs> this has gotta be better than Night of the. Sorry, this has gotta be better than Night of the Comet because uh, I'm not a big fan of that movie. So what? Wow, Night of the Comet. Coming one of those people. Coming out swinging. I'm a, I'm, a, I'm a Kelly Maroney fan. I'm a Captain Murray Stewart fan. Love them both. I just can't stand the movie. Not even for Mary Warren off. Come on. Well, that too, you know, but it's. Uh, Fair enough. I still, still like it, man. <laughs> I tried like four times. They can't all be winners. That's right. <laughs> but yeah, this one was a post-apocalyptic thing, and and these people had gone camping, and when they came back, you know, it, it's really weird because the people all turned to white powder. There are no birds, but the cats and dogs go crazy and attack people. But the horses are really nice, so. I don't understand exactly what <laughs> neutron bomb kind of thing that happened here. That it was very, it was very targeted. You know, <laughs> only certain uh, life, living things were affected, and, <laughs> and they end up at the end on like Malibu Beach. It's Naturally. just hysterical. Yeah. So yeah, it's 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 pretty. Um, uh, there are a lot of movies that they made at that time. They were talking about. Um, you know, in the 70s, they made all those ecology movies where oh, yeah. because things are getting dumped in the thing, the ants get big or the spiders get big or, you know, Marjo Gortner has to fight a big chicken or you know, something. <laughs> but um, <laughs> this is this is sort of akin to one of those, you know. So then um, I watched, well, The Devil's Reign because the Severin uh, Blu-ray just came out and I couldn't oh, yeah. avoid it. And yeah. Wow. It's the best I've ever seen it look. If you, I mean, because before I've seen it before, and it's always so dark. You're like, what the hell's going on in that screen? I can't yeah. even tell. But if, if you are unfamiliar with the film, it's um, Ernest Borgnine, William Shatner, uh, John Travolta in a small part, uh, Tom Skerritt, one of the, oh God, what's that guy's name? I can't think. But, oh, Ida Lupino. Yeah. Who's in every crossword puzzle ever? And speaking of, uh, and speaking of, Mar- and speaking of, Marjo Gortner was in uh, Food of the Gods. Food of the Gods. Yeah. That's right. You're right. And she was fighting those big, like, weird millipede things. The Ugh. maggots or whatever they were. Yeah. Yeah. Nasty. Yeah. So this one, um, it takes place in this western 
I, I mean, I don't know if, if you guys know it or other people don't know it, whatever, but for the sake of people who have not seen it, um, there's a satanic cult that somehow, you know, hundreds of years ago were burnt at the stake and claimed they would, you know, come back and get vengeance on people, blah, blah, blah. And, um, of course, there's a special talisman and a special book and everybody's got to get it and whatever. So, but devil people try to kill people who aren't devil people and it's kind of cool. Um, and it's fun to see like William Shatner and Ernest Borgnine emoting. Um, <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I really got to give that one a, a rewatch. I remember I, t- I saw it way, 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 way back when I was a kid and I just remember yeah. being just crushingly bored by it until the, the last like 15 or so minutes i don't know if it holds up maybe i you know i probably need to see it with the with different eyes today but yeah you know i I saw it years ago um and i think i tried to watch it recently but it was like on youtube and it was this you know crappy copy and it was super dark that was probably the one that i watched yeah and i was just like ugh, next but honestly the blu-ray is really good i mean it it it's it's so clear. It's 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 like watching a different film. You really can see so much more. Um, so that was good. Well, waiting for somebody to scoop up Corman to to give us a proper release of the Intruder before he dies. So that'd be nice. Yeah. Right. Oh yeah. Um. So then the last thing I guess is I I got into a weird Pete Walker kind of um thing and and saw the. Frightmare, which really fun. Um, I had I hadn't seen it before. That was a new one t- for me. Um, uh, I'm trying to even remember it. It was it was. Is that the I British was, one? Yeah, it's British, yeah. and it's like this. Um, a like young girl couple? lives with her sister because her parents are dead. She thinks, and then you slowly come to find out that her parents maybe aren't dead, but they're sort of hiding and there's a reason why they're hiding because they were released from a mental institution (laughs) after like 25 years for doing really terrible things. Um, I don't want to, I don't want to give the whole thing away, so I won't, but uh, I I really recommend it. It's, it's, it's really quite good. Um, They, he also did die screaming Marianne, which has Susan George. Is it Susan George? Yeah. And she exists, and it's it's a movie, but it's really <laughs> boring. Um, it's a great title, and the movie doesn't really do it justice. The Flesh and Blood Show was another one that I saw. These are some of these were on Shutter, so I just went in kind of a frenzy and watched a few. And um, <laughs> the the Flesh and Blood Show was just very strange. These all these actors, these. Um, semi-pro actors get invited to rehearse a play that they're going to make up as they go along on a ship that's docked on this beachside town in like Brighton or in England somewhere. And um, they all go there and they have to live on the ship. And of course it's freezing and they're all there and um, they're all very mod and you know, that, (laughs) that sort of, and, I don't know. Everybody has sex with everybody else. Um, and then the, and people start dying and in really interesting ways and nobody does anything about it. 
and that's like to me the most amusing part was like you know where where, where's frank i don't know and then they find a head (laughs) and then they just like go oh there's frank's head okay so we should go to rehearsal now because we gotta get the play on in a week and you just kind of like wait a minute (laughs) Uh, with the show (laughs) right they're really troopers um but yeah, so it's, it goes like that. The whole film is a series of different people getting killed in, in really interesting ways. So, you know, that's fun. But, um, yeah. <laughs> so that's, and anyway, so that's that's what I've been seeing lately. It's kind of a weird mishmash of things. Um, but B-Movie Maniacs is the thing that I um, help host on Friday nights on Twitter. Nice. Um, and then I have a blog called Prowler Needs a Jump. <laughs> Nice. Excellent, excellent. Well, that's good. You certainly fit in here. So, very cool. Uh, Gary, our man Gary, what do you got, Gary? I know you got something near and dear that you've. That's a, a passion project for you. Um, if you could talk about that as well as what you do, uh, which is very similar to what we not similar in in a bad way, but you're in the you're you're a man of the the same denim uh, or leather as us. So let's uh, let our listeners know what it is you do and, and what you're passionate about. Uh, I do a program, uh, a program. I do I do a podcast called <laughs> Cine- the Cinema Beef Podcast with uh, my co-host uh, Jeffrey X Martin, who's a writer, and uh, Jamie uh, Jace Sammons, who's just an all-around great lady, who's uh, a constant inspiration to me, and she, she loves Rawhead Rex as much as you guys do. So that's yes. turn you on. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, um, yeah, that's that's a that's a multi-genre show like this show. It's not just horror. It's not just anything. It's whatever fits together. Absolutely. I, I have some crazy stuff planned for later, including a a terror firmer and dress to kill show. Because oh, wow. if you want if you watch those two together, they have some very similar things to them. And you know, <laughs> that's I'm nuts. Throwing, I'm, I'm throwing them together just for that reason because. I want to watch my my, my friends. I want to let my friends describe. Uh, 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 oh, I don't, I don't want to give it away. You guys should watch Terror Forever just for, just for the, the the depravity of it. it it's, it's gross, you know. But, uh, <laughs> nice. I saw it when I was a kid, but uh, trauma is one of those things that uh, I never got too into, and it really hasn't held up for me as I've gotten older. So I've ne- I I should go back and check it out though, because well, that's the, the one I hear is the you know one of the better ones. The stuff Lloyd Coffin makes is good, you know, but a lot, a lot of the other stuff is like few and far in between. But I, I respect them for giving those filmmakers a chance for distribution, you know. For sure, for sure. Even if their film is garbage, somebody's out there to watch it. So, yeah, definitely. Um, yeah, that and if you want to hear me or me or friends talk through through movies that you love, maybe make some good dick and fart jokes. <laughs> I do the two the two minimum commentaries. You can find both those on legionpodcast.com with uh, a lot of my other friends' great shows if you guys want to check them out. Um, friends from all over the world. That's my favorite, my favorite part about this job is uh, eating friends from, from all walks of life and all over the world. And If you're working at 6 a.m., you probably have somebody to talk to. And that's always helpful. Yeah, you know? it definitely is. <laughs> And the, mo- and the money ain't bad either, huh? Yeah. <laughs> oh, it, it pays in spades. I'm making some Adam Carolla money over here. Or something, <laughs> <you know? laughs> uh, it, it pays in therapy. That this probably I, I I'm a I'm a I'm not an angry guy. I just get upset about things. But when I, whenever I do the podcast, 
even be on this being on this show such a treat you know I, it's like the best therapy for me to to, to, to cure those ills if you will you know no <laughs> it's true it's uh, i agree it's one of the reasons we've been doing it for now for this start coming into our 10th year it's it's been a gift i've made friends the world over i've i sort of not meaning to brag about it but sort of proudly say to people who don't really understand what we do i say you know i could travel to most countries in the world not most i could travel to a large number of countries would have a place to stay um conversely people from around the world would have a place to stay with me and my family or i could go to most states and have a place to stay and that's pretty incredible i've you know we've we've gotten together a number of times uh over the years and it is it is great it is it is truly a wonderful thing um to to be able to share in a, a mutual love a film uh, you know because it's such a a wide net that, that we can cast and uh it's it's really remarkable not to to take anything away from what you were saying there gary but i just want oh, to no, e- just, echo that it's sentiment just, it's just community you know it, yeah. it's probably better than most people's families their actual families you know I, I consider most of the folks i talk to my, my second family and that's sure. that's not always a bad thing you know no no it sure it's, it's a it's it's a good thing <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> you call you you called on me a couple of times, William, and I I've always appreciated that, sir. You know, oh, for sure, man. We got to reach out, right? We got to reach out and make sure our fellow man is in in good shape. S- sorry, I'm getting real on you guys, but before I went on the the, the podcast, D Wallace got real on me, so because she does like a self help uh, spiritual healing thing, and she was on Facebook Live, and she she called me out on my bullshit. I was like, okay, D Wallace, get real on me, baby. You know. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, listen! Sunday morning, she's on. It's it's, it's kind of wonderful, actually. But um, yeah, film film stuff. I, I watch all kinds of stuff. I, I grew up on, you know, Conan and The Road Warrior. Whatever my cousin made me watch when I was way too young, I, I watched that shit. And I became a horror fan later because I, I was a bit of, bit of a pussy when I was a child, as far as watching horror films goes. And that got better. But um, I don't want to get too deep into it, but. I'll tell you some of the stuff I've been watching as well. Um, I guess the top the top thing that, that I could say would be the most GGTMC of the show that you guys should watch is uh, Brawl and Cell Block 99. Nice. Yeah. Oh. It's nice. pretty great. Maybe yeah. the guy made Bone Tomahawk, and uh, people don't like Vince Vaughn all that much. I think you guys will like Vince Vaughn in this because it's just visceral and mean-spirited and... He's breaking people's faces in that movie, and it's, it's <laughs> he breaks up a car like he, he breaks up a car like he's in Street Fighter Two or something. It's, it's kind of wonderful, you know. But uh, it's a it's 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 a great time. It, it's, I say it's a great time, but there's a lot of there's a lot of like you know like bad things that happen to him, and you know. But it's 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 it's, it's an enjoyable experience if you like a good action drama, arm breaking film. Check it out. <laughs> Yeah, it's like it's the best exploitation movie made in years. Seriously. I can't even think of uh, of uh, any any anything before it that that rivals it. But it's uh, especially that you know prison, the prison dungeon stuff, and sure. John Johnson. I mean, it's unbelievable. It's funny. I had a but, chance to see that at, at Midnight Madness, and I knew it was going to get a wider release, so I didn't see it. It would have been nice to see with the crowd. Um, I want to say this: Vince Vaughn cashes a lot of checks. Yeah. And and it's a shame because I, I'll tell you I've always loved him and I I've I've caught a lot of heat for for rapping for him despite a lot of the shit that he's done but 
I feel vindicated that you know he's getting some rave reviews again because I think he's a tremendous actor when he wants to actually put it in, you know, put it on screen. I think he's tremendous, and you know, I'm glad to see this. I got to check it it's out. All the, it's all the smug comedy shit he did. Yeah, he was cash on the checks, man. Yeah, but you know, I like him. I like him. Nah. I even like some of the crappy comedies because I. I don't know. There's something about him. He makes them better. He's he charismatic. Definitely, he is very charismatic. I, I agree. I do think he is. And uh, good on him, man. That's good. Uh, Gary, what else? Let's hear uh, quickly about um, what you got going on, a passion project here. Oh, I'm sorry. Uh, Fleas and Flicks charity auction is a thing that I started this year in the spring. Oh, it was in the summer, I think. Yeah, summer. I, I We had the first one. It's for a local no-kill shelter. It's a memorabilia auction I, I go i do i frequent many conventions and my 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 friend who's a a dealer at those shows frequents many conventions as well and he picks up stuff for me so i i decided to say i have too much you know, you, you when you go to these things you say okay you pay your 40 dollars you meet this person now what do i do with this 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 autograph if you don't have like a real close kinship there's a lot of stuff that i have in my room that that's on my wall right now that i hold dear my, my phantasm autographs my my tombstone autograph poster which was a gift from a friend of mine you know there's there's lots of stuff that that i can say that are pieces that i would never let go but there's other pieces that i could say okay i can let this go no problem because you know i love it but what am i going to do with it and somebody else would would love it and, and, and adorn it and, and yeah, on the wall and appreciate it much more than I. So if you're ever looking for a, a I, I've been going on right now as we're recording. I'm supposed to start back up tomorrow. But we're recording on a Monday, so Tuesday to Tuesday um, through the I forget which day that would be, but um I'll I'll post it in the group. The twelfth, is really? it? The twelfth. The twelfth, I think. Next it sounds, be the 12th, yeah. yeah, it sounds about right. But through the twelfth on on midnight at midnight, it'll be over. You ever need for a five foot tall Italian dolls poster, original one signed by Stuart Gordon? <laughs> that, that's in there, you know. That's and um, there's there's lots of good stuff in there, and lots of good genre stuff. And um. People, like I said, that 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 community, William, you know, they they've been really helping me out with that, you're just getting the word out and helping. You know, the last time we think we raised like eight hundred dollars or something for for the shelter, and that was a uh, that was nice for them, and it's it's good for my soul too. So it is. It's nice to be able to give back and just you know, it's not to diminish. You know, no one should diminish what they're doing because if they're they're giving of their time, you know, everything they give is it's. There's something very pure about that and admirable, and it's, I commend you for doing that. I appreciate it, man. And, uh, yeah, a lot, a lot of the folks I go to shows with are very giving, too, because when you ask for donations, you'd expect folks to be so charitable. But, you know, in the, in the auction currently, I, I have uh, four signed uh, Lance Henriksen pictures. And nice. Th- th- three, of, three of which I didn't pay for because Lance was, was crazy generous. I had to give him a hug. I got I got a hug from Lance Henriksen, a big manly hug, you know, because that was important. And I, I I felt so touched by his, his charitable his charitable action that you know I had to give him a hug. You know, it was That's very cool. necessary. That's very cool. Very the cool. The father. <laughs> and, and a fucking coolest guy you ever want to meet too, Lance Henriksen. I tell you right now, he's 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 awesome. Yeah. Todd's the coolest guy I ever met, but 
Well, well, there's Todd here. Todd Cawley, of course. Oh, I gave up the name on there. Gave up your secret identity, Batman. Oh, buddy. Uh Uh-oh. Everybody's going to start texting me now. Yeah. Sexting, texting. Here we go. It's going to happen. Um, A lot of dick pics in my future. (laughs) Please Uh, please uh, inflicts.org. Anthony Danger. What the hell is his name? Carlos Danger will be back. Oh, no. Uh, So, yikes. Uh, Gary, sorry. Uh, Go ahead, fleasandflicks. Yeah, org. You guys can go there and register if you guys want to participate. That's mm-hmm. uh, it's going on right now as you guys are releasing this, I believe. So, check it out. And we are going to put this in the show notes. Um, and if we don't, Gary, you're going to message me politely and say, "Hey, Lunkhead, you didn't hold up your end of the bargain," and I'll put it oh, in no. there. Nothing like that, so, man. No, but I got to be reminded. So uh, on that note, guys, let's take a short break, a very short break. And we're going to come back and we're going to talk about a film from an interesting filmmaker. Uh, starring some great thespians. It's Bertrand Tavernier's Coup de Torchon. We'll be right back. Whenever I phone, telling your brother, you say you're gone. When some fancy clown Giving up confusion That's no solution Break it up Then make it up When will you get enough? That ain't the way you made love Sweet darling everyone welcome back uh it is time to get into the meat and taters of the show our first review of course is going to be coming to you from france via where was jim thompson from frenord um texas oklahoma so it's coming to you from actually i guess an african a french african colony by way of france through the literary work of uh, a famous oklahoman who i'm sure you're all familiar with jim thompson uh, and this is Coup de Torchon, 1981, starring um, some pretty quality principals. Uh, mm-hmm. Philippe Noiret, who we're a big fan of on the show, Isabelle Huppert, uh, Jean-Pierre Mariel, Stefano Dran, Eddie Mitchell, etc. Um, and I'll synopsize this. As I was saying off the air, the person who synopsized this was also named Will S., so I felt obligated to roll with Will S.'s synopsis. A worn-out, ineffective police chief, humiliated by everyone around him, decides one day to improve his life by any means. All right, so we've all watched this movie. It's um, it's an interesting one. Uh, Fenord is a bit of a Jim Thompson guy. He's uh, very well-versed in this film and the source material, so we drew straws, and uh, Fenord's going to roll with this one. So, Fenord, let's hear what you got, man. All right, so um, I I was saying off air I uh, 
I had read the book Pop 1280 before that's based on, um, but since I was going to watch the movie again, I decided to uh, read the book again right before I watched the movie to kind of see how they uh, stacked up. I never uh, read the book uh, in close succession with seeing the, the film. So um, they're almost identical, um, except for setting. Uh and that changes a few things. Um, so all the all the war that's going on, and um, uh, a lot of the the um, the social stuff that's going on between the French, the occupying French, and the Africans is uh, slightly different. But it also takes place. The book takes place uh, in the Deep South, so there's some of that uh, those race relations that are the same level of strained, right? So the book's from '64. Uh, and it doesn't say that I don't believe it ever says the state. Uh, I read the book and they say they just say Potts County. Um, and I any town, at, USA. That's right. <laughs> that's right. And it's the 87th largest county in the state. They say that, but uh, uh, the you know the kind of shithill sheriff that uh, um, that humiliates him, kicks him in the ass, and stuff. Yeah. In the, so in the book, he always is making fun of him for being the sheriff of the 87th biggest county in the state, uh, kind of giving him shit for being a, a nobody from nowhere. Um, but when I read reviews, people were saying, you know, I looked I looked a few places to see if I just missed the state. And somebody said Texas. Someone yeah. said Kansas. Someone said Florida. So nobody – I don't think nobody <laughs> uh, nobody that I read had any clue where the, what state it was actually in. Um, but it, it's it's – Jim Crow South, for sure. Oh, yeah. It addresses it addresses race as harshly and as uh, as um, it, it shines a bright light on on race relations. Uh, and I think that's one of Jim Thompson's central sort of uh, uh, pushes for the book. Is one of his central themes that he wants to sort of uh, tease out in the book. And I think it's really clever that uh, Bertrand Tavernier uh, said it in an occupied. I, I don't know if they ever say exactly, but uh, it feels like maybe um, French Algiers. It's Senegal. Senegal? Okay. Yeah. yeah, that's right. Good, good call. I never, I don't think I wrote down the country. Um, but it's it really, really interesting that uh, that he that he removed it from uh, the Deep South in America, and it still works in a lot of the quotes uh, a lot of the dialogue is intact i just wanted to if i may just chime in this is one of the things i really admire about um a quote-unquote reimagining or remake or a revision of source material is anyone who's sort of been in our group or listener show long enough knows you know i tend to bemoan uh, the state of film when it comes to remakes and i listen i'm not saying all remakes are bad there's clearly a lot of great ones out there but um this is the kind of stuff that I, I really admire when you can take something that is very distinctly sort of American and look at sort of the universal themes and transplant it somewhere on the other side of the world and it just fits like a glove. And it, it's really a, a masterstroke by, uh, I always want to say Bertrand Blyer because I like both filmmakers, but really yeah. a masterstroke by Tavernier to do that. Absolutely. Absolutely. And um, the movie starts out uh, with an eclipse, which is one of my favorite uh, tropes uh, in movies. Um, I remember reading, I read an article once about eclipses in film, and uh, the writer said, I can't remember who it was, but the writer said, um, 
that whenever, you know, Eclipse is used to show that, like, you know, buckle up. Like, things are about to get weird. We're letting you know that n- the rules no longer apply. And <laughs> um, and that's definitely true of the movie. Like, the, the first thing that happens is, is, you know, sort of a Promethean moment of him lighting the fire for those kids. And then walking back from it as the Eclipse is happening, you know. Um, and later, since he references that he's Jesus Christ you know, come back. Uh, it's kind of a, which is in the book as well. That's kind of a, a watershed sort of moment. Um, so I, re- I really love that scene. That's a great opening scene. Um, yeah, it is. It almost, you know what it almost feels like to me with uh, the children. It's just a very stark opening in some ways, landscape and so forth. Um, it feels a little tiny bit. I mean, it's a little different, but the way it's kind of stark and what we're seeing in terms of the contrast of violence and children and what have you is, uh, or the prospect of violence is sort of like the opening for me of Wild the Wild Bunch. There's a little bit reminiscent uh, yeah. of that. You know, I was thinking Walkabout. There you go. Well, yeah. I was, yeah, I, I, uh, I looked at it like a, it's, it seemed to me like, to be like a, a lion stalking a watering hole, but with people. That's exactly mm-hmm. exactly what uh, I got as well. Yeah, and the end the end kind of is the logical extension of that opening, you know. Mm-hmm. Um. Uh, my next my next note isn't that serious, but uh, that he's eating an entire duck for breakfast. Yeah. It's just, <laughs> just chomping into an entire duck. Uh, which you could read into as like the opulence of him, you know, while everyone's starving and uh, oh, big time, obviously. But also, yeah. it's, uh, it's kind of it's it it fits with the black comedy of the film, you know. It's a uh, it's uh, I laughed out loud in this movie I, more often I, than I probably should have. I thought about Rick Dukeman in the, in the Burbs and that scene yeah. when when he's yeah. going into Tom Hanks' fridge in that movie, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Um, so he's, uh, Lucian for the first, you know, really 25 minutes of this, of this movie is much more sympathetic, um, than he is, than he ever is in the book. His name's Nick in the book. But, um, I think a large part of that is, you know, uh, Philippe Noiré, 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 yeah, he's, you know, his, um, his eyes just, you know, tell like a uh, a, a whole story without uh, him speaking, you know, and so you kind of feel he's only he has this wounded child thing about him the entire, you know, first twenty or twenty five minutes until you realize that uh, there's more going on there than him being, you know, sort of a child. He is a yeah, well, he's, he's sly. Yeah, he is sly, but he's there's always see, you know, he's. <laughs> Let's just. I'm just going to come out and use the term. Um, he's a cuckold, right? And, sure. Right. And but the thing about him is, yeah, like I think no one gives him the credit that, or they don't have any. He doesn't get sort of the. What's the word? I'm. How am I looking to phrase this? Essentially, he's a lot smarter and more savvy about, or more aware of what he's in the mix of than anyone wants to give him credit for. For sure. Right. So and yeah, but Noir is yeah, is so great. He's, he's very unassuming, but Noiri is such a great actor. And like you said, one of the the strengths of him and as an, him as an actor is he has a humanity and a likability and a warmth that even at the back end when he's doing some pretty awful stuff, part of you still is like, 
you know, man, like it's, you know, this guy's, you know, he's, he has a very much a, an innate warmth or humanity, right? So, mm-hmm. yeah. I don't know. Yeah, I think at the point of the, the, the beginning of the film, until he, he meets this, this special new lady, uh, he became complacent, like in his station, at, like where he's at, as far as the way everything goes with it in his life. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Have and you guys ever seen the film The Secret of Santa Vittoria? No, I have no, not. Nope. It's a movie from the 50s starring Anthony Quinn and uh, Hardy Krueger, and it's set in Italy during World War II. Um, And, of course, Mussolini's in power, and the Germans are going from village to village, basically taking everything of value, looting, you know, the entire town of anything of value. And the town has one thing, and it's, it's wine. And it's got, like, a million bottles of wine. It's the only thing they have that's worth a dime. And so they hide it. But they have to, like, play this cat and mouse game. But the one who's leading the sort of cat and mouse game is Anthony Quinn, who's the mayor of this town. And he's this bumbling. He's a mess. <laughs> he's always filthy. He's always drunk. He's lazy. His wife's kicked him out. You know, and he really reminded me. I kept thinking about that character because everybody thinks he's a dunce. They make mm-hmm. fun of him. And meanwhile, the German officer thinks he's such an idiot it's kind of the Columbo effect, you know? Yeah. Right. Right. <laughs> Everybody thinks he's so stupid that he sort of ends up outwitting them and um, basically giving them enough rope to hang themselves, you know? And that's what... that The whole time I was watching it, I kept thinking of this movie, you know, because it's a sim- really similar character. Right. And that's a theme Jim Thompson plays with a lot. He does it in The Killer Inside Me as well. Um, yes. As this, where... The character is constantly manipulating everyone around him by lowering expectations. That's a great call. That's a great way to put it. So everyone expects him to to bend over and take it. And he's actually, you know, bending them over and they have no idea. He's he allows himself to be kicked in the ass because he knows that he's he's baiting this guy. He's baiting the sheriff or the or the officer from the other town. He's baiting him into um, basically, I don't know how much I should say. That's less than halfway through the movie, so I guess I can say. But he's baiting him into uh, into taking, um, you know, taking the blame for a murder. Yeah, yeah. We're not. We don't have to get into characters, but I think there's nothing wrong with saying that. But I think, yeah, he's he's smart enough to allow people to show their true colors by how unassuming he acts, right? So people are going to reveal themselves completely because they have no respect for him, right? And right gives them enough rope to hang themselves. Right, exactly. Um, and that's in that scene um, where he he goes into the uh, into the pool hall playing billiards with the sheriffs, mm-hmm. and um, just the awful worldview that the sher- that the the man has um, about the Africans there. Oh. oh yeah, yeah. And that speech and the power the power of of Tavernier's like the um, changing the setting is is shown in that because that's line for line from the book, um, and it's and uh, it's it, it works just as well. You know the invading forces, whether they be you know whites in the south in in the fifties and sixties, uh, the controlling powers that be, um, you know talk about talk about these human beings as though they're nothing. You know. Um, and so it's interesting that it plays as well as it does because it's the exact same situation, right? Oh yeah, 
so and that that scene is um and that's another that's another great example of him showing how you know clueless he pretends to be (laughs) when he says well i've had sex with a black woman i've never had sex with a cow you know (laughs) and that's an that's an absurd line to how uh which is from the book but how um evil the other guy's being how callous and awful he's being he says this sort of matter of fact line that uh disarms him you know Mm-hmm. Totally throws the other guy off, um, and and takes and takes the wind out of him while still assuming that uh, that um, Lucian is just an idiot. You know, I think it's a great scene. It is a great scene. Um, the reveal, the the whole the whole way he sets him up um, with the pimps and everything, the the kind of central murder that happens. The way he sets the sheriff up uh, is brilliant and a gut punch for him, but kind of a laugh out loud moment for, you know, for uh, the viewer. Yeah, that was really entertaining. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. It's really entertaining. on his face when he sat back when all the people were talking and he just has that expression on his face like, you know, Yeah. while Marcel is hanging himself. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. I think we lost Gary. Oh, Gary said, fuck this. I've had enough French film talk. He's done. He's out. Let's see. Where is he? Gary, you there? I it just know. said he left the group. But, yeah, I don't know. Gary, I'll, we'll, we'll ta- he'll get tagged back in the ring here in a second. Oh, Gary lost power. Oh, oh. no. Meaning his superpowers. He needs to find the crystal uh, in the cave, and he'll be right back. That kryptonite. Yeah. Too much kryptonite. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> huh. So is, is he? Is he? He's done. Uh, done momentarily. Can't okay. keep a good man down. He'll be back soon. All right. Um. The dust storm during the movie, uh, when they're watching the um, they're watching the movie on that sheet. Yep. Mm. Uh, and the and the dust storm kicks up, uh, and um. The teacher says the school teacher who he's who he's kind of infatuated with, who's kind of our only pure character, right? Yes. Um, everyone else is compromised by greed and deceit and hate, and the only tender moments kind of come from the only moments that have no manipulation and are, are tender and 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 pure are from her. Mm-hmm. Um, and the only time he's allowed to be him himself uh kind whatsoever even though it may be you know a front is uh is when he's near her that's um, right but she says you know i uh, you know i thought it was armageddon and he says uh no it would it would be much worse than that <laughs> Which I, thought was a great, I thought that was a great line um but uh another thing is um how much uh uh, how much he reveals about himself to her when he tells about his father and his father's kind of outlook on life and uh, blaming everyone around him for his own failures. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I thought that was sort of fascinating. Um, and, and because there's so much metaphysical and sort of a, uh, supernatural stuff almost happening uh, in the background, yeah, you know, it, um, it's kind of interesting since he calls himself Jesus Christ and talks about his father as being kind of a failure and, and 
evil and you know you kind of get some sense that he's toying with um creation and in on the whole you know Mm -hmm. um especially the way he talks uh later to um to to everyone about uh uh, the tortures, you know, the, the death is a kindness, you know, murder is a kindness, um, because the world inflicts much more pain on you than, uh, uh, than death, you know? Yeah, no, I, I think that's a good point because we see a lot of like the world is rife with arrogance and cruelty and at least, you know, this small kind of snapshot of, of the world. Right. And, uh, right. I think that is a, certainly a telling line as to his worldview based on, whether he was there or somewhere else, I think it's it's very evident. Right, right. Um, let's see what else I got here. Oh, the uh, okay. So the death of the I'm kind of kind of scoot right along here, so I don't eat up all the material, so other people have something to talk about. But because um, I have like three pages of notes, uh, <laughs> it's kind of compulsively like, oh, that's exactly like the book. Oh, this is exact, you know. Um, but uh, when he when he has to kill um, the African boy who brings back the the body. Oh, yeah. Uh-huh. I'll Vondredi. be as vague as possible. Sorry, what's that? I'm sorry. I just said his name. Vondredi. Yeah. Oh, okay. And, um, and uh, you know, he kind of tells him that, you know, your biggest mistake is that you trusted a white person. You thought that I was, you thought I was somebody nice, you know, but not only that you trusted a, somebody in power, but that you trusted anybody at all. It kind of is like a, a bit of an insight into, you know, where his mentality is. Um, and that, you know, the guy kind of trusts him up to the very end, you know, until he starts loading the gun. Um, now, Nono, uh, the character Nono is fucking hilarious. Um, yeah, he is. He's pretty funny uh, uh, in the book. It, it, in general, it's a lot. It's a lot less obvious that uh, No No's name in the book is Lenny. It's a lot less obvious that they're lovers. Mm-hmm. Um, they seem to be brother and sister for the most part, uh, and then about halfway through the book, it's kind of revealed that there's more going on. Um, but yeah, he's re- he's he's really funny, and uh, and uh, yeah, he's a classic meathead. Oh, yeah. is he ever? <laughs> Yeah, he's, he's kind of at heart friend. what everyone thinks of Lucian, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's true. That's a good point. A very good point. Um, but yeah, I like all. The, uh, I'll wrap this up. But I like. Um, I like the texture that the the possibility of war is always looming. Is there? Uh, it adds an extra menace um, to the to the narrative. Um, and I love I love the way he manipulates those soldiers with the war being on, uh, so that they don't discover him um, and what he's done. Um, and I love yeah I love that whole layer, and I love uh, you know that kind of near the end with Rose uh, and all the soldiers by the by the bay there um, by the dock. I think all that adds a really extra little uh, little flavor um, to the to the story. I think the the air of lawlessness and uncertainty and cruelty that just is just it it is throughout everything in the film and people kind of go either stuff that you see and everyone's just sort of nonchalant about it but I think it's um, it's pretty telling as to what um, I almost called him liar again what Tavernier is is saying with the material right like 
Yeah. So yeah, that was the one thing that I really took away from it was just how casually people are going with their lives despite the sort of cruelty, and like you said, being uh, a moment away from a war um, and just everything that's all around them. Yeah, yeah. It's just it's it's all it's all kind of uh, misery and and uh, you know her her um, her quickness to say a dust storm that she thought it was Armageddon kind of is insight. It gives you some insight into how perilous everything seems. Uh, for everyone involved, they're just kind of the sword of Damocles is hanging over everyone's yeah. head at, all, at every moment, you know? Big time. Um, but that's about what I got. Cool. I'll let someone else... Uh... Carrie, did you want to roll with some notes? Well, I'll try to remember, because... Um... Oh, Carrie, no. I... Sorry, Gary, Gary, I was saying Carrie, Carrie. Oh, I'm sorry. That's all good, I man. Could... There's a guy at work named Terry. I, I get... Scream across the warehouse. Use all the time. So. Yes, Carrie, please go. Yes. Oh, okay. <laughs> well, there. I mean, uh, you know, uh, Nord already made some some really good points. Um, the it's funny because uh, doesn't Jim Thompson write about incest a lot? I mean, it, isn't that a theme that I've seen, I've heard in some of his stories before? It, yeah, I mean, it pops up more than I think. It's something in the world. Doctor Seuss or something. <laughs> yeah, it pops up. For sure. Yeah, there's something the world and everything. I remember reading that story ages ago, and that was had the similar stuff. But um, so I mean, um, but yeah, I mean, the the big thing that I took away was was the the sort of, and I I said I had the same notes too that his eyes are. Um, I just said his he has warm expressive eyes that say yeah. a lot even when there's no dialogue mm-hmm. and. You know, because he's in Cinema Paradiso, and he's like this the the fatherly figure and everything. And then you see him in this; it's so funny to see him do this different, totally different kind of character. Oh, yeah. Um, but yeah, the 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 bleakness of the town and just like that that village, it just had no future written all over. <laughs> I mean, there's yeah. just like ugh. Now there's nothing. Even like when he goes to the big city. And you see him sort of gazing longingly through that fence at the kids that are playing jump rope, mm-hmm. you know. And and I and you start to think like because he is sort of childlike, you know, is he thinking, you know, boy, they have it good, or is he, you know, or or I wish I were there, or or, or is he thinking they have no clue what's about to be snatched from them? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Right? Any of those things. Yeah. yeah. But one of the one of the things that struck me uh, that's sort of close to the beginning of the film is the first time that uh, Cordier goes to uh, his office, goes to the police station, and the two pimps are there and they're making fun of him and they push him over on the ground and everything. And the guy um, uh, who works at the station, something Fet, his name is, is like uh, oh yeah, oh yeah, there he is, Fet not. Fetnot. So Fetnot that works at the station. So here, um, what's his face? Uh, Cordier is sitting here going through his litany of complaints, you know, as he sits down and, oh, this is terrible and everyone treats me so badly. And then you look over and the man is mouthing the exact words that Cordier is saying. <laughs> oh, I didn't notice that. At the same time. So you're thinking, the guy must say the same damn thing every day. <laughs> this poor black guy who is sweeping dirt in front of the police station, you know, I mean, and, and you've got to think that based on what you see in the film, that's about as good as it's going to get for him. You know, I mean, he's got no, 
chance to do anything else. And so for this guy to come in and complain about how people are mistreating him <laughs> is kind of, <laughs> you know, just a, a little bit ironic. And and just the fact that the, the way he mouths the words at the same time just cracked me up. I, I thought that was really interesting. Um, there, there are a couple things. Like, um, uh, have you seen Le Boucher? I, I can't help but yeah. watch a movie and think about all the other movies that are that I. Oh come yeah, to my absolutely. So I love Boucher, that movie. Yeah. Yeah, and Stefan uh, Stefan Odin is in that as well, although she plays the school teacher in that one. You know, and so, mm -hmm. but that in that one also, she, there's like a school teacher who is privy to the thoughts of a murderer, and. So I, that was a sort of a weird parallel that I drew. I don't know why. No, no, um, for sure. It's interesting to see those through lines um, in people's careers and how things kind of come full circle creatively or thematically. And who knows um, how much, if that was just a happy accident or there was some <laughs> something going on there. I mean, Chabrol yeah. was certainly a contemporary of um, Tavernier. Tavernier, so, right. And it is interesting. Very. Um, but, and... And the, the other one that I couldn't help thinking about was, who else was thinking of falling down? I did. I totally, totally was. Because <laughs> I was, the whole time I was like going, you know, I had never seen this movie before and I wasn't really sure where it was going to go. Mm -hmm. But the whole time when things kept piling on this guy and then just one terrible thing after another, either someone was mistreating him or someone was saying just awful things near him, the thing about like how black people have no souls and you know, just really awful stuff and just the, the sort of misery of all that and the bleakness of all that. I kept thinking, okay, is he no. gonna get up in a tower and just you know, right. <laughs> pull a Kurt Russell or is he gonna, you know, or, or is this Michael kind of falling down kind of thing, you know? And um, so, so I definitely saw, you know, thought that that was a, a possibility. But this, I thought this movie was really neat, and it was not on my radar at all. So um, we should I was really say happy that you suggested it. Well, I'm glad. Yeah, like I said, it's it's Criterion put it out. We should say it is accessible for those. Um, that's the great thing, you know. As not to derail, I'll jump off this very quickly, but. Criterion has so many rad films. I mean, of course, they have their Kurosawas and their Bergmans and their Fellinis, but there's so many really great films from around the world, little crime films from Claude Chabrol or Under the Blossoming Cherry Tree, which is a really rad Japanese film that's got, um, uh, what's his name, to Lone Wolf, uh, Tumisaburo Wakayama, is that it? Yes. Uh, it's a great kind of companion, not a companion piece, but it's a great kind of... Uh, ghost story of sorts or horror film of sorts a moral fable um and that they, they have that and that's they have so many cool little films that were too quick to i think think about the the big sort of tentpole art house films but uh right yeah. yeah i've bought a couple of blind buys from them that have turned out to be just fantastic that i just had never i was like you know what let's do this you know and and it, they turned out to be just fantastic oh, yeah. i can't think of one that i've seen regardless of uh of genre that I've ever disliked. Uh, you know, like Criterion movies are always at the library and I'll just grab something blindly and I've never had a bad experience with one. Yeah, is that's it? where I got this from the library because it is actually, I think it's out of print. Oh, is it? Um, 
I, yeah, I mean, it's on Criterion, but I, I believe it's out of print. Um, I couldn't find it on, like, Filmstruck and all these different places, which huh. I thought, maybe I'll get a seven-day trial and watch it for yeah, free. Yeah, I was going to ask if it was on Filmstruck. <laughs> Good call. But I ended up going to the library, and it was there, so, um, so yeah. But, yeah, it's excellent. And the did you hear uh, watch the interview with Stevanier? I did no. not. Well, one of the fascinating things that he talks about it was an alternate ending mm. that he had to the film, which <laughs> is really kind of batshit crazy. <laughs> um, and and the producers went, get out of here. Do this again. Do not tell me that's the ending. Can you share it? <laughs> they were just like, that's just too weird. Um, but he, And his alternate ending, apparently, during, you know, there's a da- the dance at the end. Yeah. He, um, toward the end. That's a great a scene. So there's, mm-hmm. there's this dance and the pretty music and everybody's dancing and then this this couple walks in and they're both apes and they're, they're holding hands and they walk in and they start to dance and it's like everything blows up somehow and then the two apes look at each other and say like oh shit we got to start this thing all over again. <laughs> <laughs> what? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> And the producers were like, "Are you out of your effing mind?" <laughs> you know. That like uh, that, is that like you know? a 2001 reference or? Right, right. That's, you know, yeah. like, well, you know, the, we get us. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> I thought it was pretty funny. That is pretty funny. Anything else, Carrie? Uh, I'm trying to think. Um, no, not really. I just thought it was really fascinating. I mean, and, and as you said before about just the, the lawlessness of it, mm-hmm. what I thought was fascinating was every time there was a crime committed, he wasn't ever looking behind him. He wasn't ever going, oh, I hope nobody saw me. Or you know what I mean? Like, there was absolutely no fear of being found out. That's like, right. He just was very like, hey, I'm going to shoot you now. Bang. You know, and then. <laughs> yeah. And he just kind of went about his thing and got rid of the body and did whatever he had to do. I mean, there was no, you know, surreptitiousness at all. I mean, you just, <laughs> which I thought was really quite fascinating because some of them were in broad daylight. That's right. There he is in broad daylight, just, you know. The casual lawlessness is really. Yeah. 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 No ramifications, <laughs> no price to be paid. Well, he's, to- you know, he's totally, he's, he's delusional, right? So it's, he's hard to even trust himself, like. You know what's 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 really happening? He's talking about being Jesus Christ, like he tells the he yeah. tells one of the pimp's brothers. You know he's completely out of his mind, um, beyond you know beyond the fact that he's killing people, <laughs> but right, he's also right. very delusional and uh, and um, psychotic. Oh, I had a question, and and maybe or you guys, maybe you guys understand the answer to this because I didn't. Um, what was the point of the blind guy? That's, you know, I was wondering the same thing. I guess maybe that the sa- it's day in, day, day out the same thing. You know, the sort of yeah. unendingness of the of, of the sort of misery and the, the sort of bleakness of their lives. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Repetition. I can't add anything to that. Um, yeah. I'll go with, yeah, I, I was thinking the same thing as Fenora. That's exactly what I was thinking. No, I don't know. I, <laughs> I'll roll with that. <laughs> well, it's not in the book, so, you know, I, I thought it was, but I thought it was a fascinating little, you know, 6 p.m. entering the virgin forest, like, right. over and over again. You know, I thought that was, 
There was something was, magical about it. it. It made me think about Bergman, you know, like, like yeah, Bergman yeah. Forest. I was like, okay. Totally. Hey, uh, Mr. Hill, what you got? Oh, I have more observations than anything else about the film. I did enjoy it. Yeah, you know, I thought it was a little long for, for me, but, you know, I, I did enjoy it. Uh, you mentioned the lawlessness, but there's the scene where um, the pimp and I guess the, the, the pimp's associate were, were shooting the dead bodies in, in, in the in the water. God, yeah. And, uh, again, the time he's like, whoop, I just fell down again. I was like, well, with malaria running rampant, you think he'd be <laughs> a little worried about these dead bodies, too, that probably... It was the sun beating down out. It probably, you know, would might get sick from this. I don't know, but it's one of those things where he just goes about his day again, just from getting in that malaria stew. I thought it was kind of random. It's dysentery, which is in the water. You know, it's like. But they they made it. They said that that was that was the habit of the people who lived there to put yeah. their bodies in the water, and I thought. Holy moly. <laughs> no, just the fact that he was in the water, though, it's like he's kind of like nonchalant about it. Well, foiled again, you know. It's, it's, right, right. He could be as tired and, you know, he lives in a real hot area, but at least he's got a pretty banging scarf to wear all the time. <laughs> he, man, he comes correct on the ascot tip. He does. He's got that. He's got the Henley. He's wearing the Henley. So he's like the Higgins for those that... Uh, <laughs> no, our, our good friend Brian Higgins, man, he comes correct. I always think whenever I see a Henley in film, I think of our good friend Brian. <laughs> so yeah, no, he's he's on point, man. I, I I lost my notes as we lost power, so I'm just trying to remember stuff that that, that I observed during the movie. Um, Living the life, I'm telling you, the damn. Uh, you guys mentioned the, the, the edible thing. I, was was that her actual son? He called her mama. No, it was his, her there. brother, was it not? It's brother. not really her brother. It's but they have... Oh, uh, yeah, I'm stupid. I didn't uh, catch that. She, he's supposed to be her brother so that they can live together. Oh, brother. yes, 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 yes. Okay. It all but makes sense now. Oops. He, he, she was like cradling him at some point, like in the beginning of that movie. So I was very confused you know, as far as their what their relationship was. So I guess it's part of the charm of the film. I don't know, but um, I, I didn't read the book myself. But um, well, it's a little clear in the book that her brother is um, her brother is like a child. He's like he's like got the mind of a five year old in the I book. Could tell, I could tell that, yeah. <laughs> but uh, he just he's pretending. Um, in order to uh, live there and and be her lover, um, and at one point, like you know, they're making fun of him because uh, they're making fun of uh, the Lucian character in the book, Nick, um, for not realizing that it's not really her brother, and that yeah, he's well, just. Yeah, they do that there. a little bit at the river. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, when all the people are when he's when he's setting Marcel up. Right, and he says, "I don't see the family resemblance." Yeah. <laughs> You're in for a big surprise. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Um, yeah, there's there's a couple of things that were mentioned already, and uh, I I I like I I I kind of didn't like the way that like what's the, what's this new lady's name? I forget his new lady's name in the movie. Anne. Rose. Yeah. Or Anna. I I I, forget, I think it's Anne. Yeah. I I, I hate the way that like their relationship is kind of set up like her husband's whooping her ass in the streets he's just having like a shave or something 
He's like, oh, I'll just let it play out for a couple minutes, and then I'll go help her. It's like, where, where's the love in that? But, you know. Oh, yeah, it's, it's, uh, oh, yeah it's that's like, Rose, who he's sleeping with. Yeah. Yeah. This, yeah, yeah. this is like the weirdest romantic comedy I've ever seen in my life. It, <laughs> it's just there, you know. Because it kind of it turns into that in a way, like these... Not in a traditional sense, but in, if you've anybody who's seen those like romantic comedies, it's like you know, <laughs> oh, you, you fall out of love with this person, but you find somebody else. It's it's kind of the same thing, but like in like a real desperate place. And <laughs> I would love to take uh, like someone on a first date to this movie and say it's a romantic comedy. Yeah, there you go, man. That first impression, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that uncomfortable racism, you know. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah for real, for real. The outhouse, the outhouse. Man, I'll, I'll be talking about the outhouse. If no one else was going to, you know, oh, I was going to talk about that outhouse, man. Yeah, yeah. I think that's that. That's that incredible. Weirdly, is 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 um, yeah, my my make or break scene. That, that that's that's coming up though, but. That's where the film took the turn for me. So nice. I'm going I'm to leave that there and I'm going to let some bales talk now. Totter. All right. Uh, not a hell of a lot to really add to this. Although the one thing that um, I found interesting about the film, uh, aside from how technically well made it's made, it's, uh, it's made and um, all of that sort of thing, is about the uh, the morality that Lucien seems to have, or the lack of morality, and the way that um, Tavernier portrays it on the in, uh, in the uh, in the film, um, because you know he does the whole thing where he's killing bad people, but not necessarily for unselfish reasons. Uh, he's cheating on his wife, but she doesn't love him anyway. Um, he seems to care about the villagers, but he doesn't stand up for them sometimes, uh, and you know. He, he does the things that everyone talks about but hasn't got the courage to do in, mm-hmm. in some ways uh, but at the same time you know he's not doing these things for because he's being altruistic he's doing these things for his own reasons correct uh, but but at the same time uh, and there was a, a key uh, quote in the film uh, where he says I help people to reveal their true nature and you know I think that's really what the, the whole thing kind of centers around at least for me. Uh, and uh, and the characters who are you know really well uh, well especially uh, Lucien is really 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 well developed very uh, very well portrayed by Noiré. Um The the movie is leisurely paced, uh, but it's always compelling. Um, outside of that, I mean, you got the, those final moments of it, which I I found you know sad and chilling. Uh, but other than that, uh, yeah, that's that's really all I have to add to, to everything that everybody else has been saying here. Yeah, I think you bring up a lot of great points. Uh, you know, you get that a lot with someone sometimes if you want, you know, you want to get them to just you really talk about themselves. They'll reveal so much with people that just listen, they observe. And Lucien very much allows, like you said, he allows people to reveal themselves through his inaction or... Um, him not thrusting himself at the forefront of any real situation unless it's to move things along uh you know with some sort of yeah, reveal yeah right? well between yeah between his yeah between his his uh, that guys that he puts up for them uh and then you know the way that he just manipulates them otherwise uh you know to reveal themselves and you know and i think that's interesting because you know that's kind of a 
well, it's a pretty cynical view about uh, of uh, human beings too. It's a very, very much so. Uh, what you just said, thrust. All I can think about now is that 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 cherry pie reference she made to make sure he was hard as well when she oh, was yeah. talking about it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. No kidding. It's he funny. Was so tired, he couldn't uh, stick his fingers into a cherry pie. Or something. <laughs> yeah. And then she reaches and uh, <laughs> investigates. Yeah, she sure does. <laughs> she sure does. Um, it's funny this character, and I don't know why. I don't know how I can maybe connect these two, but um, Lucien almost feels to me like the sort of. Oh, the, who the heck's that? Um, all right, uh, I have to remember to put the elf on the shelf out. Um, so. <laughs> with uh, with Lucien, he very much. Has anyone here seen Seven Beauties, the Lena Wertmüller film? Yep. So I almost feel like Lucien's yep. character is the opposite of Pascali in that he's arrogant and he's got this pride. He's he's a bit of a buffoon. He's boastful and he gets himself into situations because of this. Whereas Lucien is inserted into situations despite him sort of laying back and his sort of passive nature and allowing people to reveal themselves to him as opposed to a willingness to reveal himself to people. Right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. So it just, I don't know why, but it, it kept popping in my head. Um, this looked hot. It looked very hot. And they shoot the film in close a fair bit. Like the, a lot of times when you get Africa or you get countries where there, you can get a lot of production value from a lot of wide shots they don't really go for that uh, they're content to go for sort of the claustrophobic feeling and the oppressiveness of the heat and how tight they shoot a lot of the stuff in the village um, which was interesting I'll, I'll tell you I'll never get tired of unless it's done to me that salt in the coffee trick <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> terrible man that's a yeah. heartless move that is a heartless move. Um, what else do we got? Most of it's been covered already. Uh, sand crabs. Oh, that scene. I want to talk. Yeah. yeah, that seems amazing. Yeah, it that is. Was it was. It was. Um, I, you know what line I like? And you might have mentioned it at Fnord, I think, or someone might have when, and I believe it's Lucien, he says, you speak in some folk. No, I think someone says it to him. Or maybe it's the opposite. Anyway, I'm bumbling through this. You speak, and some folks believe you. That's some gift. Oh yeah, he says that. He says that to, uh, Marcel. to Marcel. That's right. When he sets him up. That's right. That's right. I like that line. I like that line. Um, it's a bit of a Porky's gag, but I love seeing the white suit get covered in shit. <laughs> yeah. That's fantastic. It is pretty wonderful. It is. It was very crisp too. Like before it was. you see it, it's like really clean and crisp and then he <laughs> not for yeah, long he took the full force of that shit he uh, uh he did he needed to go back for his hat yeah oh, I <laughs> yeah he did yeah he did it's funny too it, it almost feels like george costanza like lucien is george costanza. I, I i couldn't help but think of him as like he's doing everything the opposite now and it's coming like you, you know what i mean like it's it feels like everything's coming up spades now for him He's doing everything yeah. opposite of what he should. Yeah. Well, that's why I, yeah, he's coming out on top. You know that it takes so long for the the turn to come, or for yeah. the turn to be revealed to the audience. And that's right. Uh, it's kind of interesting because you're, you you know for the way that he plays out the rest of the film, uh, you almost get the the idea that he's been that way all along. That's right. Um, well, that yeah yeah. And is it you know is it a matter of boiling point? Is it a matter of 
just, this but, is the right yeah, time and the right of, place to reveal what he's really all about, you know? Again, it yeah. goes back to, like, that romantic comedy thing I was talking about. He got his groove back. <laughs> that man How Lucien got, Lucien got his groove back? <laughs> <laughs> it also feels to me like Jim Jarmusch's Dead Man is indebted to this film. Oh, absolutely, yeah. You know, really, yeah. really feels that. Um couple of lines I really like. What matters is what I didn't tell you. I think that was one of the exchanges between the lovers. Mm-hmm. If I remember correctly, yeah. it's been about three weeks or a month since I've seen it, yeah, uh, which is a lifetime in uh, you know for me. Uh, when you yeah. eat or sleep, you think he about says that too. He says that to the brother um, of the pimp who he's been talking oh, to. Oh, you know, yeah, what, yeah, yeah. You yeah, told yeah. me all this stuff, and he goes, "Well, what really matters is what I haven't told you." Right, and right. And the guy okay. says, "What's that?" And he says, "I saw them the day after they got murdered." Oh, yes. My bad. Okay, that's right. That's right. And then the guy gets on the train completely confused. Yeah, that's right, because it shows him, like, all perplexed on the train, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, okay. Uh, The line, and I'm not going to commit it to anyone because I'll probably mess it up now. When you eat or sleep, you think about the things you can't solve, I think he says. Is that what it says? You can't solve? Anyway, you know what? Forget it. I don't even know what that says. Uh, I, I would have loved, loved. As, listen, uh, the character, the actor that played no, no, um, which is a grandfather. Eddie, Eddie Mitchell. Eddie. Yeah, Eddie Mitchell. Yeah. Eddie Mitchell. I, I couldn't help but wonder, and it was an enjoyable enough performance. But how much richer the performance would have been, especially because this man's physical stature, if it had been Gerard Depardieu. Oh yeah. We really yeah. could have seen a nice. Um, interplay or kind of a, a, a tennis match a sort of, of in terms of acting between uh, Noir A who could have held his own with a great like Depardieu so absolutely yeah uh, I, I, I gotta say I thought that Mitchell was the weak link yeah um, in fact he, he just I understand he was supposed to be a buffoon and everything but he really bugged me and I was just like ugh why did, they needed somebody better you know because that was a really good cast yeah. But, yeah. Um, and then I just read something about this, saying that apparently he—I didn't know Mitchell. I was not a—you know—I didn't know anything about him. But he was a singer, and um, it was sort of semi-stunt casting, you know, because he was like a famous singer or something. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And um, and he watched the dailies and hated them. <laughs> I read hated that too. Them. Yeah. Yeah, hated them so much. That he's, he wanted them reshot, but they said, no, we're not going to reshoot them. It'll cost, you know, 100,000 francs or whatever. And he said, um, well, I got more money than everybody else in the cast. Because apparently he was quite wealthy. He was like a, you know, touring singer and making all kind of money on albums wow. and stuff. That he said, I'll pay for it myself. And they just told him to go blow, you know. <laughs> go pound salt. And they never let him watch the dailies again. <laughs> we're not, yeah, exactly. And he just he never watched the dailies anymore. That's amazing. <laughs> Yeah. I'd like, and I, I maybe I have seen him in something else, but um, I guess he was in a film called A Fat Head, which, uh, oh, Eddie Constantine's in that. That might be interesting. Uh, I'd like to see him in something else, though, just to see what uh, what he does. Um, I thought he was really hilarious when he starts, um, when he's, like, trying to hit Rose. Yeah. At the end, and he's yelling, Mama. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, it's a really disturbed sort of scene that's a really it has a lot of uh, pathos in it he had, he had worked interesting listen to this cast oh this is um yeah he uh Ter- he worked with tavernier again um in the biopic about dexter gordon around midnight 
Huh. Uh, and Herbie Hancock's in it, of course. That makes sense now, looking at his casting. Okay, anyway, I'm digressing. Um, but I love the kind of great soul-searching face with the fade to black at the end. Uh, really, really good. Um, yeah, I don't know any else to add, so let's, uh, let's kick it back to Fenora. We'll go through our make-or-break scenes, our MVTs, and our scores, and we'll jump off and get into our next review because we're running long. All right, my MVT is uh, Philippe Norier. Yep. Uh, he is uh, he's amazing. Uh, he carries the movie in a movie that's that you have a character who has to carry a lot of really complex emotions and and feelings. Uh, whether he's lying to people around him, whether he's deceiving them, or whether he's deceiving the audience, and uh, and he really traverses that that role as well as anyone could. Um, He's amazing. Um, the make or break scene is the scene where he reveals to Marcel that he's uh, he's sort of wound him up in a web, and Marcel's trapped um, by somebody he didn't he hadn't really seen before that moment. You know, he didn't know what Lucien was until that moment. Mm-hmm. Um, and the look on his face and the way that plays out is just amazing. Um, and my score is super high. I think it's a nearly perfect movie. I have a 9.5 out of 10. Oh, nice. Wow. Uh, best Jim Thompson adaptation. I it doesn't. I don't think it quite tops The Killing for me, which wasn't one of his books, but was a screenplay he wrote. Yeah. But I think the best adaptation of any of his any of his work. And I, there's quite a few good ones. Wow, that is impressive. Yeah. Have you seen? Um... China Lake. Yeah. Oh, I love China Lake. China Lake's yeah. great. Not the Scarlet one, but the one with. Um, yeah, the one with Russ uh, Meyer, Chuck Napier, Charles Napier. Yeah, ch- yeah, out in the desert with Man, the. Man, yeah. I really love that. It's not. That's it's not the same league as this. Yeah, it's a real great short though. Real punchy. Yeah. It's it's dark. It's menacing. It it totally has like a Tom, what I know to be a Thompson vibe. I'm not putting quarters in the machine either. I'm getting text messages. <laughs> Yeah, it's the same guy who did uh, The Hitcher. I think it was a good warm-up for The Hitcher, Absolutely, right? yeah. Absolutely. But, uh, yeah, I love that short. Is that good Eric Red? Mm, no. No, Robert Harmon wrote it and directed it. Yeah. Mm. yeah. My bad. Right. Oh, good. Oh, good. So, uh, okay, so that takes us to Carrie. What do you got for make or break scene, your most valuable thing, and your score out of 10? Um... <clears throat> Well, I, I also loved the scene where he revealed himself to Marcel, but I'm going to go with the um, the one where the um, Fetnat uh, mouths the same words that he does. To me, I just thought that that said a lot about, like, I don't know, about the whole situation, about the whole, like, even though this guy's bitching and moaning about his life, <laughs> this poor guy who's sweeping the dirt is really got it worse you know and and then he's just he knows exactly what he's gonna say i just thought that was a really sort of a telling scene about the just the culture um and then i think the most valuable thing i said the village itself the bleakness Mm, of it and just Mm -hmm. i just wrote it 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 just had no future written all over it and that's exactly what i wrote it just like it was so just you know (laughs) i gave it a 7.5 out of 10 Nice. Which I thought was really good. I, I really liked it a lot. It just I, I can't say that I, I totally adored the ending. I can't say that I did. 
but I really, really enjoyed the movie a lot, and the cast was wonderful. Excellent, excellent. Uh, Mr. Hill, what do we got? Uh, make or break scene. <laughs> I said I kind of gave it away. The 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 shit house dunk tank scene <laughs> because it it, it kind of turned around his character, kind of made him find his happy a bit, and that, that that was pretty much the 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 turning point that made that happen. You know, in in a way, in my opinion, and because uh, from there on in, it was like not not exactly like sunshine and rainbows, but he uh, they had a better relationship after that scene. Him him and his new lady, and uh. <laughs> <laughs> uh, MVT, um, yeah, uh, uh, a mixture between what Carrie says. I agree that the, the setting is so bleak that it just adds so much to the film and just the desperation of the characters. Except for the pimp who just had the shitty suit and you know apparently a lot of money. <laughs> but, but yeah, the, the setting, the setting totally uh, almost played a character in the movie. So th- there you go. Nice. Mr. Todd. All right. Uh, let's see. Uh, Make or Break is the... For me, it was the first time that um, Lucian acts uh, in the film. And by that, I mean, you know, like I said before, the turn when he actually takes a step in the, in a different direction from what we've seen up until then. Uh, I'm not going to say exactly what it was, but um, basically it involves a, a gun and a couple of shootings. Uh MVT is uh, noiré for me. I think he does a really good job of uh, of playing this guy, um, both cold um, and also very warm. And uh, yeah, he does it very subtly, uh, you know, very invisibly, and it's a, a, an absolutely marvelous performance. And I give it an eight out of ten. Nice. That leaves me right. Okay, yep. so. Uh, Make a break is the the initial scene where we see that he's uh, at the time we don't realize um, how willing he is or, or to what extent it's he's resigned or been beaten down by life or if it's just sort of the long game he's playing. But the first cuckold scene with me, just the looks on his face and just what was happening. I mean, there was more going on with this character, obviously. Um, and I, I like that scene. I think it was played well. Uh, MVT, I'm going to also, I mean, it's, it's clearly for, I think, uh, us, the strength of the film, Philippe Noiré's performance. Um, this film, I mean, it could have left you cold in the wrong hands, but because we want to believe in the warmth uh, and the humanity we see in his face and in his eyes, um, some of the colder things uh, he does aren't, don't seem as they seem more palatable uh, in some bizarre way because of um, the warmth that he the innate warmth he has. My score for this is a is an eight out of ten. Uh, I think it's a very good film, um, and I'm glad that uh, everyone dug it. So let's take a short break, and we're going to come back, and we're going to head to Hong Kong five years later. All right, we'll be right back.
Cotter. It is time for our second review of the night. Uh, we're going to fast forward five years uh, in terms of film. We're going to jump from France to Hong Kong. And uh, a filmmaker who's been on our show, I want to say a couple of times, at least once, Choi Hak. Um, we've never done Butterfly Murder somehow, which is bizarre to me. Uh, yeah. Zoo, Warriors from Magic Mountain, again, how have we not done it? You did uh, uh, Dangerous Encounters, Which right? we did, which is rad. Yeah. Um, Shanghai Blues, I've always meant to do. Uh, there's a lot of films. The guy's a legend. We'll talk briefly about him. I know we mentioned him in our Dangerous Encounters review. Um, so let's uh, let's have Hot Toddy synopsize this one, and we'll get rolling here. Alrighty, a uh, mission to steal a valuable document from a soldier's vault draws three women together in turn of the century Peking. Ooh. I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna read the IMDb one because it's horrible. You're not gonna read Reed Gaggle's uh, synopsis. Reed, buddy. <laughs> Trimmed at fat. We gotta Reed. check this out now. Yeah, Reed's got a good paragraph there. Reed's got. <laughs> Reed's got to trim the bush there a little. Yeah, he does, man. <laughs> He does. Um, okay, so, yeah, I wanted to pick this film because, I, again, I really consciously wanted to get more Hong Kong film in the mix and more Asian film because I love Asian film. And I just feel like we haven't talked about much in a long time. Um, and Choi Hawk is a great filmmaker, and I think one of the things I love most about him is what makes him unique is even though some filmmakers like John Woo have been influenced by your Melvilles and a lot of your, uh, like your Houstons and a lot of other filmmakers that were working uh, in more Western film. Choi Hawk was, was um, trained in America. I believe it was NYU he went to. I think he went to the University of Texas. Texas. Oh, okay. He's Longhorn. But I know he'd been in New York for a while. He loved European film. Uh, he loved American film. And it's very evident in the way he directs, um, he's more aware of cinematography and score than a lot of his contemporaries. Because if there's one thing Hong Kong films are not well loved for the world over, it's usually their scores. Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, so this film, uh, a lot of people would like to call this film sort of the quintessential Hong Kong film because it, it well, it's a stew, right? I mean, it really combines a lot of different genres, which... No one really does as well as Hong Kong does. Um, you get some history in here. You get romance. You get theater, which is so integral in uh, Hong Kong and identity and their history. Um, you get drama. You get um, some sort of spy, thrillery, subterfuge. You get martial arts, action. You get everything in the kitchen sink. Um and I feel like it was one that a lot of people, I don't know, for whatever reason, don't really talk about. They talk about the great Hong Kong films of the 80s. I mean, we're too busy talking about Hong Kong Godfathers or, you know, whether it's the Oily Maniac or <laughs> Bloody Parrot or some of the more bonkers stuff. Not quite as, like, psychotronic, right? But, not quite. No. Not quite. It's, yeah. Go ahead. It, it, had, had you guys all seen this before? No. I had no. not. No, not at all. Oh, nice. Okay, I cool. had not heard of it. Not even on the radar, no. Okay, so see, then mission accomplished. Hopefully, yes. hopefully, mission accomplished. Um, so this film, if I remember reading correctly, it did clean up at the, is it the Golden Horse Awards or the Golden Rooster Awards? I always mix those two up, but it swept the, the hardware uh, at the awards show that year in 1986 when it came out. It um, 
had a lot of star power involved, obviously. Um, at the forefront, you have Bridget Lynn, who, I mean, Bridget Lynn's the queen. You know, she's been on our show before, of course. Yes. Uh, a couple of times at least. Um, Chunking Express. Uh, did we actually ever cover Police Story? I can't remember if we have. I don't think so. And I don't remember. The Bride with White I Hair. Doesn't sound. Doesn't. No. Nope. Fuck. There's so many things we haven't covered with her in it. <sighs> but anyway. Um, Royal Tramp. Royal Tramp. We've never done. Um, there's a ton of films we've just never done. Uh, and and this is it's interesting because you know, for some reason or another, and I'm not sure why, but she seems to often play very androgynous or male characters. And I think I said this before on the show, and she does it again here, where she's playing like a really male-oriented uh, character. Like she wears pants and like a tuxedo, and she dresses like a, a man more or less. Which back in 1860s, uh, you know. Peking, I, I would imagine, was not something that you saw a lot. No. Um, but I mean, that's that's something that she always does. Like in in, in Royal Tramp, she's always being mistaken for um, for a for a, a man. Uh, what was the other one? Uh, Deadful, Med- Deadful, Deadful Melody. Deadful Melody. Yeah, Deadful Melody. Uh, you know, everybody thinks she's a man. And I mean, it's just, it just seems to be like a recurring thing for for Bridget Lynn, which is is really weird because I think she's absolutely gorgeous. She um, is beautiful. It's, it is know. funny, yeah. I mean, there's a lot of gender bending. Um, and it's, you know, looking at the theater too, right? The irony of men playing women a lot. Who want, they, they yeah. even say in the well, film. Well, that's a, that's a big thing in this. Yeah, big, gender bending is a big, big thing in this. Um, but yeah, Bridget Lynn, I mean, she's as big as it gets in terms of um, acting and what she is and means to Hong Kong film. Um, so she's in there. You get uh, Sally E who's great in this film. Sal Yi, uh, I should say, fellow Canadian, um, she was raised in Vancouver. Um, sure. She's, she had her fair share of films. She's uh, probably the killer might be the one she, uh, she's most um, prominently displayed in. She had some uh, some cameos in other films. I know she's in Pink Force Commando, The Protector, but it's a smaller role. Um, but she's uh, she's great. She's a pop star. I mean, she's like a full on. Like she's she's huge. She's huge, and she's beautiful. And she's uh, and I've always thought this was sort of bizarre, but she's named Pat Neal in the film. Uh, yeah, yeah, I found that really strange. <laughs> yeah, it's always been a strange thing. Um, and then uh, Cherry Chung as well. So uh, again, one of the top Hong Kong actresses of the time. Um, so you get really of that golden age of 80s Hong Kong film I mean the, sh- the stars don't shine any brighter than these three right and they really do anchor the film I mean you get some male in, uh, you get some males in here as well or actors uh, male actors that uh, are fine certainly uh, Ken Sang of course uh, Mu Ma and a few others but really the women do a lot of the heavy lifting uh, in this film sure. certainly um, let me skip ahead to my notes because if I do my um, uh, my notes for a previous film. It's going to translate very well. So, uh, I'll say this. I don't know if this has a really great Blu-ray or not. Um, does anyone know that? I, I don't, I have a feeling it doesn't. There's a reg- I don't think there's a region one. No, that's too bad because a lot of these films from this golden age, they look really soft. They're, it's almost like De Palma was, you know, on the set when the audience were being shot. Well, China, China in and of itself, you know, has always been kind of... Poor on 
restoration and preservation. preservation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I mean, all of these things. I mean, that's kind of that's almost kind of, uh, and I think even uh, this is something I, that I think uh, CDR brought up over on Cult of Muscle recently. Is that, you know, that's kind of part of the charm. And I might be wrong about that. I might be misquoting them. I apologize if I am, and I'm t- thinking of somebody else. Uh, but that's you know, part of the, the charm of these things is the. Uh, the odd way that they look, the softness, that muted uh, colors, uh, you know, the ultra grain on them, all that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. I mean, because yeah. the only the only ones the only the only Chinese films that I can think of, like from way back when, uh, that look really really good today are the Shaw Brothers films. Yeah, I mean they look even the Golden Harvest pristine. ones don't look. Oh, you know which one? You know who did a really good job. And I'm going to forget the name of the company. They did a really great job. Like the Hong Kong Godfather. Was it Hong Kong Godfather? Yeah. Uh, that DVD, never mind Blu-ray. Well, I'm pretty sure yeah, that it was Shaw Brothers, wasn't it? No. Was yeah, it? it was. But I'm trying to think of the studio. Not the studio that put it out. Sorry. the um, Like the label. I think was it was Anchor Celestial. Bay? No, it wasn't Anchor no, Bay. No. I, I don't know if it was a Celestial transfer or print originally. Let me I try to... I f- downstairs, but then... Let me see here. But... Oh, and they put out. They oh yeah, here it is. Um, Are you talking about the white box that has like yeah. the slip? Yeah, Hong Kong connection. Yeah, it was a celestial. It was a celestial print, but this company, I think they got a lot of the celestial stuff. Who was um? Let me just. Oh man, this makes for great podcasting. <laughs> but anyway, the company that put that out. I wish I was downstairs right now. I could tell you. They put out a bunch of really great stuff though, because when I heard they were going into business, like literally that day. I went on Amazon and I bought up everything they put out, and almost everything they put out looked fantastic. Oh yeah, the, the colors really popped. Um, but it's a shame with something like this, where um, a lot of the period stuff, a lot of the makeup, a lot of the costumes would really pop uh, if they had been cleaned up and, and preserved, right? But yeah, um, sadly they haven't. Um, so this film does open up with some great cackling. Yeah. Um, very yeah, the, H- command, the commander, he's very much a martial arts villain uh, to start off with. Yeah, he is. He absolutely is. And it's a very 80s Hong Kong title sequence. Mm-hmm. Like with, with like the stage and you get to see. But see, in this case, it's very fitting. It's not so much even a stylistic choice as it's a practical choice because a lot of the film is about stage and about costumes and playing roles on and off the stage, right? Yep. So. I, I, I mentioned I napped between movies, and the face paint on those guys at the beginning is the stuff of nightmares, okay? <laughs> it's spooky shit. <laughs> you know what's the stuff of dreams? Forget nightmares. The mustache and eyebrow game on a few different characters in this. Oh. <laughs> it's pretty amazing. Oh, my gosh. The, 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 I don't know what he is. He's like a competing general or something who gets them out of the prison yeah. to uh, have his way with them. Yeah. Uh, his his mustache and eyebrow, like they're both of them are six inches off his face. It's unreal. There's, that's, that's a height, man. There really it's is. Amazing. It does. Uh, to cut in real quick, I think Funimation. Funimation they... sounds right. They put out the duel as well. Um, Funimation sounds right to me. Yeah, it is Funimation. I just went. I went down and grabbed it, and that's the only other. It's Celestial and Funimation. Yeah, good call. Or the, or what's on it? But it's Funimation. Funimation. Anyone, if they, you can scoop these out, man. Like, they did an incredible job. Incredible job. And you know, kudos to Celestial, of course. But, uh, um, 
early on too. And let's not forget, like, there's a lot of commentary on China and sort of the decadence and the greed of those in power. Um, how like you see the real contrast between sort of the even early on like the drab grays and browns versus sort of the golds and the beautiful colors in the uh, before the um, the like the police or is it the army they storm the um, the the house mm-hmm. the general is right like you really see that contrast and I think Turok was very much of the mind that he wanted to make commentary on China Chinese history. Um, the intersection of culture and history and how those things are intertwined, right? I mean, this this film, there's a lot of nuance, I'm sure, in this that gets lost on the four of us as Westerners. Um, that oh, would, definitely. Yeah. Oh, yeah. We would appreciate even more so, I think, um, having the benefit of, uh, of the cultural uh, awareness, right? Every, every time you take a drink out of that thing, yeah. I, th- I imagine you with one of those ceramic jugs like they used to have in the Shaw Brothers movies. And they would just poke <laughs> a hole in the top of it and just wash wine. Like the terracotta ones? That's exactly Oh, that's, that's amazing. <laughs> that's amazing. No, yeah. it's this Hydro Flask. It's like as big as a fire hydrant, man. It's huge. Like an extinguisher. It's just humongous. Um, <laughs> I'm going to yeah, mute no, real were, quick, were but talking... I'm still here. Yeah, cool, cool. Oh, What's yeah, that, Tyler? I, I got to mute, mute real quick. Yeah, okay. No, cool, cool, cool. Um, but you were saying about how a lot of this gets gets lost, and this is the thing that that seems to happen a lot with uh, with Asian film. Uh, at least for me, I know that people who are students of of, uh, of this thing would you know go, oh well, this happened then and that happened then and blah blah blah. But for me, I mean, this movie, it's a really simple sitcom premise. It's quickly and efficiently set up, but it's mm-hmm. still confusing because there's so much going on. There's so plot heavy. Mm-hmm. There's so much, you know, and and then you know to bring in the historical aspects of it, whether or not you can you can believe that, or whether it's being told from this person's perspective, that person's perspective, um, you know, you just kind of get lost in it. So it, you get to a point with with Asian films, and especially you know stuff like this, where you just kind of have to give yourself over to it, and you just accept that you're you're probably not going to understand the entirety of the plot. Uh, you just need to. to watch the the details of uh, what the people are doing and watch the technical aspects of it um, not to say that there aren't you know things to be gotten from the plot or not that it's not that it's worthless but uh, for me a lot of times it gets really confusing no I think that's that's a that's a fair statement and I think that with Hawk as a filmmaker as well specifically I file I often find myself with him and some filmmakers can do this the Coen brothers I think also do this really well where I'm watching their film and I and I find myself saying to myself they make it seem effortless like I almost think about like some film some films that garner sort of like an 8.5 out of 10 or a 9 out of 10 yeah, I mean they really work for that 9 out of 10 they're epic in oh, yeah. scale and scope and you know, the sweeping cinematography and and all this stuff. And then you get the Coens uh, with... The, what was the film they did with Oscar Isaac? Um, uh, Inside Lou Allen. Yes, Inside Lou Davis. Or even uh, Serious Man. You get films like that that are just tremendous to me. They're eight and a half, nine territory. And they make it seem so effortless. Oh, yeah. And I really feel like Troy Hawk makes it feel effortless. Yes. With this yeah, film. Yeah. Because when you sit back and you think about the whole film and you let it wash over you... I mean, you really got something on your hands here. I've seen my share of Hong Kong films in my day, and I can tell you, I've seen a lot of overstuffed shit. And it's easy to go, the more sort of uh, balls you have in the air, the easier it is for those to all come 
toppling over and crumbling down and yeah. the walls come tumbling down like a John Mellencamp song and, and, you know. and I'm not saying I'm not saying you I'm not saying that you can't understand what's going on it's just that a lot of times you have to you have to kind of wade through a lot to, sure you know to get there no there's nuance just, and you, you, you kind of have to you kind of have to like wait until you see the, the same person because they're talking about one guy and then but and especially with the translations you get like there. somebody being called there'll be somebody will be called like a superintendent here and a general here and a commander here and it's the same fucking guy and you're like well uh, okay and you're not you're not necessarily 100 percent sure who they're talking about so in that way in that respect you know you just kind of have to let it let it tell itself to you uh, and I think that I think that actually Hark does a, a really great job of uh, of keeping all the balls in the air in this thing. Um, Amazing job! I yeah. was I was saying off air to Carrie because she didn't have subs that, you know, the subs were insane. On they the were they were pretty dog shit. If I'm going to be polite. Oh yeah, they're they're they're, they're <laughs> those yeah they're those literal translation. Like Babel, they're they're not a, they're just like one step removed from Babelfish. Yeah 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 it was it, yeah it was it was almost pure nonsense some of the time but but. He has such a good sense of space and geography and such a good uh, clear storytelling that I knew what was, you know, not only the action. I mean, the action scenes, of course, were like, you know, amazingly shot. But in, in the way the plot flowed made total sense to me. Like you're saying, you just had to wait. You know, there were times where I was like, do I know what's going on at this moment? Yes. I'll wait. And then I wait five minutes. I'd be like, OK, I get what's happening now. Yeah, you know? exactly. He's exactly. a clear storyteller. He is. And he's he's has enough, um, I think, faith and strength in storytelling that he doesn't need to stop and tell you he's going to show you and you're going to understand. Right. Yeah, exactly. And I think you bring up a good point for because to have that many balls in the air and to say, like you said, um, that to have a clear understanding of storytelling in spite of that uh, is a real testament to his strength as a filmmaker and a storyteller. Because again, you know, exposition a lot of times is, is a crutch that people rely on uh, with films and he doesn't need it. I mean, and then there's a lot going on, man. Like there's a lot happening in this film. Right. And, And you can look at this film in a number of levels or through a number of genre, um, filters and it it can meet a lot of people's needs or tick a lot of boxes uh, for them quite well like um you know and that's that's like i said it's it's commendable certainly um and i love too that we're kind of thrust into this sort of the chaos and sort of of everyday life with their characters and especially the troop right and it feels like the way it's shot is very kinetic it's very close it's almost like everyone's on top of each other um, and that hustle bustle um, really conveys a sense of day to day life quite well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and I didn't have any. I didn't have any clear idea who. I love the way they were dressed, but all the people in black. Yeah. Who were like arm? Were they army or police or? I didn't really understand exactly. The ticket officers that they call them. Yeah, they call one of the guys a ticket officer, but later they call the same guy a captain. Yeah. yeah right? See, that's yeah. 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 I, I don't. Um, I don't know whether they were like. I don't know whether they were like secret police or something or. Yeah, they seem to also know. have some sort of control over the general. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> or are able to arrest him, even though he's the general of the province or whatever. So I was kind of confused exactly who they were, but. Um, but it kind of didn't matter because I understood their position in the world. And I the grand boundaries. You're right, and I think ultimately the big picture stuff you got. 
So, yeah. I mean, you can look at that as sort of a minor detail, but you're right. And we were going to be greatly benefited by having fellow gent Paul Taggart, who's seen more Category 3 films than probably all of us combined. <laughs> uh, he was going to come on the show and spit some knowledge, but he's in Scotland and it's like mm -hmm. 5 a.m. right now. So he couldn't swing it. He is missed. We're going to have him on the show to program a really insane Hong Kong film at, uh, show at some I point. I look forward to that. Yeah, it'll be a lot of fun for sure. Um, uh, I love, too, that it feels like a sort of fly on the wall with the theater. You know, we're, we're privy to certain mm -hmm. conversations and backdoor dealings and who's doing what and why they're doing this. And um, it just it moves around quite nicely and efficiently. So I do like that. And I want to say, too, talking about the cinematography, there are some really sort of standout shots. Like there's a really great shot where the camera whizzes up through the stage while they're performing, like through that hole in the stage. Yeah. I mean, yeah. That, that's a really nice shot. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Well, Hawk, Hawk um, he makes great use of uh, of light and space, right? I mean, yeah, he, does. he really knows how to he knows he knows how to do it. Uh, the one thing, and I don't know if I ever told this on the show before, but the one thing that I remember from uh, an interview I think he did with Fangoria was when he was at University of Texas and he was shooting uh, ballerinas dancing for a class. Uh, his teacher came over and, and you know pointed to him and said, you know. Hey, maybe you should be shooting that over there. And he looked over, and he was—it was the shadows of the ballerinas dancing on the wall, and he shot that instead. And it's that kind of thing that you know he gets—he gets really well. He's got a great visual sense about him. And uh, something that occurred to me, especially—and it's something that you know I've been thinking about for a little while, but it just reoccurred to me when I watched this one—was um, there's a lot of hot lighting spots in this, mm -hmm. uh, if you notice. And I—I I, kind of got to wonder. If that was, uh, if that's an influence that uh, Tarantino took from uh, from Hong Kong cinema, because it I happens at a, it's a lot, it's in a lot of their movies, and I know that he was a huge fan, uh, you know, of Hong Kong cinema, especially from this era. So he never takes anything from anybody. You know? No, I know. Yeah. <laughs> never. But but it's just, it's just one of those things that you know, it, to be to be something that's so specific. Um, because I know in, in every one of his movies, you know, there's always those hot lights that he uses, especially when people are sitting at a table or something like that. It's just something that occurred to me. I, you seem to be drawn to hot lights. I'm drawn to hot legs. Yeah, buddy. <laughs> hot legs. Yeah, hot legs, too. Drumsticks. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, what else do we got here? Uh... Oh, I just, again, you know, we get to see the greedy buffoonery by men in power. Just, they're such base pigs in this. Like, they're just so yeah. gross. Really gross people. Oh, and you get you get to some of that nice Chinese comedy going on. <laughs> like, yeah. like that gay marriage proposal. Oh, yeah. What the fuck is going on there? I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. I just rolled with it. I don't know. I, I don't was, know. Uh, yeah, I you know, I assume that... Uh, I assume that the captain had to have known he was a man, right? Because they only let men um, perform. Yep, that's right. But then he makes a marriage proposal. He tries to feel him up, um, yeah. and then he breaks all of his fingers. He does not wanting to marry him. I <laughs> I didn't understand if uh, I didn't even understand if it was if we were supposed to think it was funny. Or what what we were supposed to uh, think about that scene? There's often well, I think we were supposed to think that was funny. There's oftentimes I don't give, if I don't know it in the moment, I don't spend a moment 
pondering it because <laughs> it is a fruit as fruitless endeavor. Written about it. <laughs> I'm jumping off that train because I know it's just going to take me down a path. I'm just not going to have any answers. It's like I'm, you know, yeah. Um, of course, obvious statement. The action's really, really well shot. This isn't a martial arts film or an action film by any measure, but the moments we do get, it's just remarkable how well they're shot from the physical stuff, the the kung fu, and and as well as the gun stuff, the gunplay, right? Like, yeah. Um, I mean, it's just first rate. No one. Well, he's got. Go ahead. No, no one. I think gives. What the fuck is that? An Instagram post, man. Dramatic. It will run for your life. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> the call's coming from inside the house. Holy shit. <laughs> Man, I got to hit uh, that lock screen next time I put my phone down. Um, the thing that uh, I like to do is clearly derail myself. Um, <laughs> the thing that I think people don't give enough credit for when they're looking at action in martial arts films, of course, geography and space, but editing. Right, it's edited together just brilliantly. So, well, speaking of that, is that you know, you get a really clear, uh, you know, you see a lot of the Western influences mixed with the more Eastern style, especially in this film. Oh yeah. Something that oh, you know yeah. Hawk, you know, really, really did very, very well. It's what he brought back with him, right? Uh, oh yeah, big time, man. The, the the banner swinging game is strong in this movie as well. It is. It's really <laughs> strong. Really strong. Um, how about that the? That was uh, one of the more confusing. Uh, one of the more confusing fight elements. It's all choreographed so well, but when they all swing from the banner near the end, and then all of those people come out of the side of the building. Yep. Like they just they to escape, they essentially throw thirty like actors <laughs> against the side of this wall uh, into all these tables and everything. I, I didn't really understand the uh, uh, the reasoning for that. They they maimed a bunch of innocent people. Again, I wasn't going to question uh, <laughs> the fluidity of. Uh, I of demand the... answers. <laughs> uh, how I about the hospital bills? Man, you won't find those. Um, but <laughs> I'll tell you another thing. You know who who didn't demand answers was the father during the uh, one bed one blanket conundrum. <laughs> yeah. But that's a great moment. I'll tell you why that's a great moment because. A lot of the great Hong Kong filmmakers and actors, whether it's your Jackie Chan's or your Samos or obviously Choi Hawk, that whole generation, um, they love and they lovingly homage people like Keaton and Chaplin and Lloyd and a lot of the great silent filmmaker, uh, silent filmmakers, well, filmmakers as well, certainly, but the silent film stars and the physicality that they were able to bring uh, to the screen, right? So a really yeah. good, really good little, little sequence. Um, I wrote down just Pat Neal. It's just so inexplicable um, <laughs> that <laughs> Salier is named Pat Neal. But, yeah. uh, you know, we'll roll with it. Um, we gotta... now, I didn't go back and check, and I I just didn't notice at the time because I was so blown away by reading it. But were they saying Pat Neal? You know what, I man? Think they, it's well, that I don't. Yeah, that I don't remember. Because sometimes you'd get that right with like the British, like a certain um, like police or army stuff. They'd say, uh, "Okay, chief," or you know, they'll say things that uh, that they would obviously be passed down from uh, from Britain being in Hong Kong, right? So right. I don't know. I, I have, now now it's going to keep me up at night wondering if they actually said Pat Neal. 
uh, every time that her character is addressed. Right. I don't, I don't remember hearing anything that sort of resembled that. Um, no, no, me neither. So I wonder if maybe, I don't know, some sort of subtitling goof. Like some sort of joke, you know, somebody's what? wife's name Pat Neal. Well, she's Let's credited Pat. as Pat Neal in the uh, in the IMDb, right? So. I know, but I wonder if that's just what she is in every in every subtitle version. I don't know. Who knows? Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. If some, yeah, I don't know. Um, great little poison scene mm. with the with the two women and uh, the general uh, yeah. fireside. Right, he's he's. The little cocaine packet of uh, poison. There. That's yeah. right. And that's a good scene. A smack packet. Yeah. The smack packet. That's a good scene. It's a very good little scene. It goes to show you, um, in the hands of a good filmmaker with the people he's working with, they can really draw out that tension from this. Uh, you know, what could be a throwaway scene in most other films. Um, I love that we get the female focal point. This film is really about the the women in it and their struggle and their plight. Uh, grinding through that era in Peking and China on the whole. Um, I really love that, and they do a great job, I think, of, uh, and this sounds almost silly, but tough but tender, um, you know, resilient, and uh, I think it's it's a, it's a it's really great. And I think as much as Hong Kong sometimes doesn't have um, nuance or subtlety or emotional complexity, I think a lot of times they've often got uh, their females right in films, um, which is nice. Um, here's one thing it's a first on our show uh, we're known every time there's a torture scene and, <laughs> and someone's chained that shackled up it's oh. always some shirtless oily dude man always this is the first time you've had, we've had a woman chained up yep. in the history with, of our show and with no uh, no nudity no nudity it's yeah, the that, least salacious of uh, of all of, of the, the torture scenes. That was Tor- pretty. Yeah. Vi- it was pretty vicious. It too. was vicious. The, viol- the violence is not cartoonish like a lot no. of the other action is. And it's not oh. played up in like a like a pinku yeah. <laughs> kind yeah. of. Uh, it's not for titillation, and it's it's oh, awful. Wow. Like it's an awful torture scene. It's a testament that he can put this awful torture scene where she's whipped and there's gore and they put salt in the wounds and yes. they throw salt water on her. And it's brutal and nasty. And then the next scene, you have essentially like a weekend at Bernie's moment. Oh, which is which is incredible. Really well. It you plays know? so well. It's that's such a great scene. Yeah, and that's Hong, that's that five minutes of film is Hong Kong cinema in a nutshell. For sure. Uh, I, I, I have in my I have in my notes the saltwater splash scene is the best flash dance tribute ever. You know? Yeah. Yeah, no kidding, man. Um, You're looking for that romance everywhere, Gary. You are. Yeah, oh, definitely. I, I, I'm, are. I'm a fat guy, so I'm a hopeless romantic. So there you go. <laughs> um, I love the camaraderie with the leads. I think it, it's... it's You feel it. I mean, they really... There's... The, you know, sometimes well, the, you... The movie doesn't really come together until they all meet. That's right. It's just kind of the That's disparate right. parts, and you're, you're kind of like, okay, 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 okay. But then once they actually fuck, once they actually uh, meet, then you know all the gears start to turn together, and the three of them working, the three of them uh, on screen together are just great. Oh, they're fantastic together. I wish there was a series, you know, them meeting back up and yeah, and having another adventure. You know, just seeing yeah. them on on screen together is is, is electric. They kind it of set it up at the end, though. Like we'll see after the revolution happens, you know, stuff like that. They drop, they ride away. <laughs> I know. It's... Like you, you were really good together. You guys should do more stuff. Yeah. Instead of just splitting. See you later. Yeah, exactly. 
Exactly. But I mean, their camaraderie is just palpable. Like, I mean, it's just you, you cherish seeing that kind of camaraderie on a screen together. Because sometimes, you know, people yeah. are thrown together and there's a meet cute scene or getting the gang together scene, but it just, it seems so effortless in this. And you care about them and they care and you believe that they care about each other. Yeah. Um, I'll tell you, that last, that back end set piece with the terracotta roof, I mean, that's tremendous. Oh, it's man. wonderfully staged. Um, it, it's just incredible. I mean, it's just incredible. It's insane. The stunt work, the squib work. Yes. Um, it's, you know, it, part of it feels like a Western meets a Kung Fu. I mean, it's just, there's so much going on there. It's it's a tremendous set piece. And um, you could have, this that set piece alone could have carried like a pretty saggy ass film. And it didn't need to, but uh, it, good on it. Um, yeah, I also love a good rooftop chase. It's pretty good in this movie as well. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah, no, it's true. Uh, I don't have a whole lot of notes otherwise. I think in the interest of time, I'd like to kick it over to one of you guys. All right. Uh, I don't have too many notes. So. Yeah, no, I don't have too many other than what I've already been uh, stepping all over Will with. So uh, I'm just going to run through a couple things real quick, and then I'll I'll kick it over to, to somebody else. Um, I like that uh, Bridget Lynn and her dad have uh, a nice little emotional conflict going on in the film. Yes. Because um, she's really the she's really the emotional uh, or even moral uh, heart of the movie, uh, and she does it really well. Uh, because I mean, yeah, she's Bridget Lynn. Um, now I'm going to ask another question real quick if I can. <laughs> yeah. And I'm driving everybody nuts trying to make sense of it, but. Why exactly? I know she's she's sympathetic to the revolution, but do we know exactly why she's willing to go to such lengths to sort of undermine her father? Because she's sympathetic to the revolution. <laughs> you answered yeah, that's pretty much it. <laughs> All right. That he, no one person is above the cause, which I guess in and of itself is kind of a Chinese sentiment, right? Yeah. Feel good yeah. kind of Chinese sentiment. Yeah, but, they're uh, always uh, willing to sacrifice. Right. Well, I, I dated a pastor's daughter once, and, you know, that girl was into some stuff because she's a pastor's daughter. You know, <laughs> the whole rebellious <laughs> idea of it, yes. Nice. nice. So y'all yeah. were trying uh, to kill the pastor? Is that the... Yeah, there you go. Trying to steal the, <laughs> steal the secret documents from the pastor? The microfilm, man. <laughs> yeah, buddy. Um, I like in this film the various playing of parts, uh, like as a as a theme... Uh, and that eventually it has to stop um, because the you know it, it all has to come to an end eventually. Um, do, 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 uh, the movie does carry on a bit long. Uh, it does get a little long in the tooth, but it does it does so entertainingly. So you're willing to to give that aspect of it a pass. It really you know it's not bothersome. It doesn't make you want. It doesn't make you sit there and be like, oh Jesus Christ, isn't this gonna fucking end? But you definitely do feel the length of it. Yeah. Um, it's got a nice little poetic justice finale. Um, and finally, I'm pretty sure I heard, uh, part of the Escape from New York score on the soundtrack. So, uh, you know, you know give what? a points for having, give a points for having uh, good taste in, uh, in music. He uses the Suspiria, uh, is it Suspiria theme he uses in, um, Spooky Encounters or Dangerous Encounters? Like, I, I don't know. Remember. I haven't seen that one. I haven't seen that one. Yeah, um, he uses one of them. I can't remember if it's Suspiria or not, but... It's a goblin I, I, thing. Yeah, I wouldn't bet. Yeah. But, uh, okay, that's all I got. Uh, kick it over to either Gary or uh, Nord. All right, I'll, I'll take it. Um, 
I have, a, I mean, I have a ton of notes that are just kind of questions about what's going on for a few minutes. <laughs> yeah. Um, and, uh, you know, like, like I said, half of one page is, uh, why is the mob boss? I was calling him the mob boss at this point in the movie. <laughs> uh, why is the mob boss proposing to this guy, and why is he breaking his fingers now? Does I, I didn't under, I didn't understand what was going on there. I was entertained by it, but I didn't really understand. The, is, is that a thing in Chinese cinema? Chinese finger torture? Because it's apparent in this movie for a lot. Uh, well, I mean, you get some, you know, a little bit of torture here, a little bit of torture there, but. <laughs> They yeah, have creative ways. It's more torture in general. Yeah. They're going to put the pins in her fingers and stuff after they whipped her and threw salt water on her, you know? Torture yeah. game is on point. Yeah. Oh, those were awful. They had, like, the... They were, like, the end of tweezers that were going to go, like, under her fingernails. Oh, oh man. Yeah, that was... that was Bamboo shoots. Yeah, that was terrible. Um, what was the other... Oh, yeah, I had a question about... Uh, I'm not even. You know what? I'm not even asking more questions about the shit. I didn't understand. <laughs> I'll just talk about the things I love. I lo- okay. So speaking of the terracotta roof thing, I love the catapulting that the cat did. Oh, oh man! I'm so glad you mentioned that because I would have felt like such a dunce if I didn't mention that. It's I just put that teeter totter. <laughs> it is. It is like the most perfect sort of encapsulation, like boiled down moment of the whole movie, mm-hmm. uh, in that you care that it happens. You are actively rooting for that guy to get fucked. Oh, you, yeah. It happens in a comedic way. It happens in a gory way. And the the stunt is amazing. It so is. So it's kind of like every bit of, uh, every bit of the movie working together uh, it, to, to one little satisfying uh, burst of the finale. Mm-hmm. Um, so I love that. I love the fucking car she has, the Rolls Royce. Oh, wicked. Yeah, it was, yeah. Uh, Her Rolls Royce and her cape and her driving goggles and that whole get-up that she puts on at the beginning of the movie is just... uh, I can dream. One day. One day. (laughs) I have a cape and a Rolls Royce. Um, The final fight scene is just amazing. And I wrote uh, my last note was can't resist a good freeze frame. Yes. And then under that was double freeze frame. That's amazing. Two freeze frames for the price of one. You do. Uh, Weekend of Bernie scene was incredible. Um, <laughs> I thought that was maybe the funniest gag in the movie, but also incredibly tense moment. Um, and, uh, you know, everything everything would have been spoiled if they'd gotten caught right there. And instead it, uh, uh, you know, it was a really tense humorous scene Uh, that's about all I have nice I really love this movie nice nice Uh, Gary uh, what do you got I got got a few things left uh, that are that are notes I guess Uh, more observations like I said although I did really enjoy the movie it was it was a lot of fun and uh, well here's one the general uh, himself dresses like Michael Jackson but looks like Colonel Sanders (laughs) <laughs> and, and, and then later Strangely turns into a grizzly pirate in the film he, he, he like dresses a lot more down later Like he's like going to the revolution Or something he's got a headband on And you know It's really strange <laughs> um, the, the bedroom scene Where um, everybody sneaks into to the, the, the bedroom to, to, to hide I guess 
Oh yeah. I, I just watched the last American Virgin, so I've been I've been hooked on these these teen sex comedies for a while now. It kind of reminded me of that in a way, like the father bursts into the room, but the boyfriend's still there, like hide under the bed kind of deal. <laughs> oh, totally, man. There's that that sort of youthful, like there's a glee or exuberance. I don't want to call it naivety, but sometimes with um, like Hong Kong films, you get that kind of almost that the characters are playing down to teenage kind of romanticism. I guess to maybe fill that, that or tick off that box for a certain audience, but you do get that in Hong Kong films. It, it was a nice blend of the, the action in like comedy stuff in this movie and I, I think that's what I enjoyed most about it and um yeah the the the, the final sequence between and I, lo- I love how the I guess you would call it the geisha show bookends the movie because that's how essentially they make their escape like Blues Brothers style like they're, they're putting on a show yeah. but, like it's all smoke and mirrors because they're escaping that that, that yeah. was neat um it, like plays a role and of course I mentioned the spooky face paint, which bookends the film as well. Like, here you go. Here's the face paint again, guys. It scared the fuck out of you. <laughs> and, uh, uh, not, not a ton more that, that wasn't mentioned already, but yeah, it's a lot of fun, you know, there nice. you go. Very nice. Okay. So I guess I'll kick it back to myself to break it down here. So make or break. I don't know. I could go with the number of scenes for a number of reasons. Um, I'm going to go with, uh, I'm going to go with the finale. I mean, I just, it feels kind of lazy for me, but I don't know. The, the finale somehow elevates what up until that point was already a superb filmmaking for me and, and really shows like, you think I've got, you think I have nothing else up my sleeve? No, I'm going to really, I'm going to take it up another notch. So, um, Choi Hawk is well regarded as a master filmmaker in Hong Kong and, and the world over for good reason. And I hope that people will see more of his films um, that aren't maybe as aware of them. MVT, I'm going to go with the trio. Um, They're just fantastic uh, in this film. I think, you know, again, you couldn't have had three bigger actresses, uh, arguably at the time, Bridget Lin, Cherry Chung, and Salier, uh, just superb in the film together. And, you know, their male male counterparts are fine too. They're certainly certainly fine um, as well, but, but those three really carry the weight. Um, and my score is an 8.75 out of 10. I think it's a great film, and I think it's a it's a really is a wonderful example of of Hong Kong filmmaking. So there you go. All right, uh, make or break for me is the heist sequence. I think it's marvelously orchestrated, edited, uh, and it's funny and it's tense and it's just you know everything that great Hong Kong cinema is. Um, MVT is going to be Hark for me. Uh, you know, when people say that this is a quintessential Choi Hawk movie, I think they're pretty much dead on from what I've seen of his uh, his work. Uh, and uh, yeah, this one's this one's up there. Uh, score is gonna be seven point seven five out of ten. Uh, very very worth it. Uh, outstanding little movie. Um, it's one of those ones that I think is probably gonna go up as far as score wise for me in the future on future uh, rewatches. Um, but as of right now, that's where I'm at. Uh, kick it over to, uh, Fnord. All right. My, um, make or break is the first fighting, the, the first opera scene where, um, both of the women are on stage at the same time and they kind of figure out something's amiss and mm-hmm. the whole, the whole thing breaks out. Uh, that's kind of our first taste of like wide action and the whole the whole sort of uh, thing that's going on on this on 
on the uh, stage is is humorous and also has some real stakes and some real tension to it, um, which is the thing the movie does the best, I think, for me. Um, my MVT, I kept bouncing back and forth. I, I think I'd have to go with the three female leads because that's what kept me incredibly engaged and the thing that I want to see more and more of. But it could easily be Chewy Hawk or... Uh, um, uh, the tone or, you know, or like any number of things. Cause it's done so well. Um, and my score is 8.75 out of 10. Nice. I love this. I think it'll even go up. Like Todd said, I think mine will go up from this. Um, I'd love to see, there's a picture on IMDb, uh, of a scene of the movie that is so vivid and bright. And I wish that was the print that I had, you know? Oh yeah. Um, I maybe the maybe the um, the region two Blu-ray looks like that, but uh, um, just because the dialogue the, the subs were a little confusing sometimes, and because the print was like a little, you know, it was it was a charming charming print, but some of that stuff I think would really pop with a with a cleanup, and uh, so I could see it going up to uh, nine nine point five. Nice, loved it, loved it. Very nice. And uh, Mr. Hill, what do you got? Um, make or break is uh, yeah, the 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 getaway scene in the end I, I think is uh, feeling incredibly well. But I I thought it was a little easy peasy on the escape. I mean, he had the great gunfight in the prison and all that stuff, and it it, it, it was fun though. It was a lot of fun. All movies fun though. Uh, MVT is common amongst all of us. The the chemistry and I think the comedic timing between the three female female leads are is pretty wonderful and. It keeps you in it, you know. The, the big scene, the, the comedy and the action kept me in as well. So, kind of, kind of a tie there. So, there you go. Nice. That's oh, right. and eight out of ten as well. Nice, so, nice. Oh, everyone liked it. I'm glad. Didn't poop the bed with our guests. That's good. Very good, gentlemen. Uh, of course, Lady Carrie had to leave. I want to thank her. She had to jump off first. She didn't actually get a chance to see this one. So instead of listening to us blather on, um, she said later alligators and uh, went about her evening. But it was great having her on. We've never spoke before, so uh, none of us uh, have spoken to Carrie before. Um, so and I want to thank each of you for being gracious and giving enough of your time to cram these films in um, and to watch them and to talk about them with me because we were in a bit of a pickle and we've been trying to get the show out every week and uh, it's it's it really means a lot that, that you guys uh, Gary um, and Fenord and of course Todd I, uh, I really can't say enough Todd thank you for making it happen on your end despite it being difficult and uh, Gary and Fenord thank you for, for also making it happen it really uh, really means a lot Anytime. Yeah. I I, lo- I love doing the show. Um, I really look forward to it, and this was a uh, this is a lot of fun, a lot of fun. Yeah, no, it definitely is. If I may say so. Um, so thanks, thanks so much for y'all having me on. Yeah, yeah anytime, appreciate it, man. Anytime. Now, does anyone have anything want to? Let's let's before we jump off, Gary, drop, um, flicks for fleas, right? Flicks for fleas. Uh, fleas and fleas and fl- fleas and flicks. Fleas and flicks. Drop. Yeah. Is you playing? Are you playing pinball over there, man? I get the pinball wizard. Sure, definitely. You know, nice. <laughs> no tilt, man. Like, Supple know? wrist. Yeah. <laughs> <Definitely>. <laughs> well, why don't you tell us one more time where we can find out uh, what you got going on there? 
Uh, Fleasandflicks.org is where the the website is and where you register, where you bid on all the items. Uh, that's going on through the 12th, like like we said, through, through midnight on that, that night. And uh, that all goes to South Suburban Humane Society, all the proceeds. And I just, uh, I forgot to mention I received a, a poster in the mail today that I thought was lost in the mail that Miss Jessica Harper sent me from, from it's at 11 by 17. Um, yeah, Phantom of the Paradise poster signed Ooh. by her. Very nice. That's very a late cool. edition that's going in there tomorrow, so... Very, very cool. cool. That's good stuff. And where can we find your podcast, my good man? Uh, you can find my podcast on iTunes and on legionpodcast.com. And, uh, yeah, like I said, open door. Anybody wants to come on? Cinema it's, Beef. Uh, Cinema Beef Podcast. It could, could be. It could happen at any time. I don't care. You know? <laughs> Make the magic happen. Very cool. All right. So, gentlemen, as always, there's only one thing left to say. Adios. 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 Thanks for listening. You can find the gentleman at ggtmc.com and you can email the gentleman at midnightcinema at gmail.com. Thank you.